You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net and I'm joined once again by my good friend Chris Kasky from mrgilderpixels.com. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm just peachy. How are you, Pete? Not bad, not bad. It's uh, cooled off a bit today. We're having a, a nice sh- a rainstorm shower today rather than the exhausting heat we've had for the last few days, so that's nice. Unfortunately, it's coincided with uh, my mother-in-law coming to visit and wanting to do the garden, but now it's raining and they can't do that, So, which is oh, a shame. No. Yeah, It's a shame. I, I, I like her coming down because uh, by the time she leaves, it, either the house or the garden or both is always nicer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh dear, but I'm sure I'm sure they'll find something to do. As uh, my wife is uh, has been on a DIY kick during the whole lockdown thing, so um, oh yeah, yeah. So there's been plenty going on. We've completely refloored our hallways. Um, we've got a new carpet down the stairs. She's going to refloor the bathroom at some point, uh, and I'm just sitting here saying I'm staying out of the way. It's <laughs> a good place to be. Yeah. Alright, okay, so plan for today is to follow our three-part format, so we're going to start with a bit of news in this first segment, and then in our second segment we'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently, and our third segment today is our topic-based discussion, where we'll be taking a closer look at the work of Inti Creates from over the years. So this is um, something I've done a cover game feature on in Moe Gamer in the past, uh, but there's also a side of Inti Creates that I haven't really explored before, so Chris is going to help fill in some of the blanks in my knowledge there. But to begin with, uh, with the news. So uh, this is in no particular order. This is just things that we've uh, gathered over the course of the last few weeks or so. Uh, Beginning with, um, there is a mech strategy RPG called Dual Gear, which is slated to release uh, for early access on July the 29th um, on Steam, uh, which is not long after this podcast will air. So uh, you should be able to download that for PC shortly. And there are PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch versions following in 2021, presumably once the early access uh, period is over and done with. So, I mean, I don't really need to ask why this has attracted your attention, but, um, but, I mean, is is there anything sort of specific about this other than it being mechs? Do you know anything about the developer and publisher? I don't think I've heard of either of them before. It's developed by Orbital Speed Studio and published by Corsell Technology. They're not names I'm familiar with. No, I hadn't heard of either of these guys prior. I just got really excited about this because when I watched this footage, I couldn't believe how much it looked like the PS2 Front Mission game. Oh, yeah. Which is an amazing game, uh, Front Mission 4. Yeah. And uh, now this isn't exactly aping Front Mission. I believe this is also going to have some active third-person shooter elements, according to some of the descriptions. So it's definitely... Uh, its own game in a lot of ways, but it's clear from both the designs of the mech and the, kind of this clean, boxy look that they're very. Whoever works on this is very much fans of Front Mission, and as mm. yeah. as someone who doesn't understand why the last two games set in the Front Mission universe have been third-person action or stealth games and not mech strategy games, um, <laughs> it, this is like uh, this is the closest we're gonna get to a proper Front Mission. Mm. <laughs> you know, because Square is obviously not interested in giving us that anymore. So, yeah, that looks pretty cool, actually. Um, 
And yeah, judging from the description on their on their Steam page at the moment, it sounds like there's there's turn-based layers, as they call it. It's an extremely high-angle map called Tactical View. There's a bit of there's a bit of English going on in this description. I think I'm not sure the exact origin of them, but there's uh, there's definitely some strange phrasing. Um, do it through the extremely high-angle map called Tactical View. Before selecting the chosen unit to roll out, observe your contact zone and make efficient management in turn-based combat style. Uh, but then it also separately mentions uh, mech-based action shooting in combat mode. So it sounds as if you sort of make high-level tactical decisions and then sort of actually be able to, to jump into the mech and control it directly to do some of the combat side of things. So I'm wondering if it won't be a little bit like Valkyria Chronicles. Mm, like that, that, sound, that sounds exactly like Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah. Which, is yeah. Well, which would be welcome because those games are ace. Yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, that's looking nice. And as I say, that's coming to early access on Steam on July the 29th of 2020 and PS4, Xbox One and Switch versions coming in 2021. So keep an eye out for that and check out the early access version if you want to get an early look at it. Uh, continuing on. Um, so just recently, uh, Koei Tecmo and Gust announced that Atelier Riser is getting a direct sequel. Um, so in breaking with the Atelier series tradition, it's actually a direct sequel involving the same lead character. So it's Atelier Riser 2, Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy. Um, so yeah, Riser was a huge success, uh, both in Japan and overseas. Um, at least partly because of the main character but also it was a very good game uh, as well from from what i've heard i haven't played it myself yet but uh, it is it is as most of you know on the list for the atelier mega feature which has just had a new entry added to the end of it <laughs> um but yeah so um riser was extremely popular uh, popular enough to justify doing another game with her so it may be breaking somewhat with atelier series tradition um but it's completely understandable from a business perspective um so if they make yeah. a third one it's just going to be called like atelier rise of three look at them shorts because <laughs> <laughs> like, like let's be honest there's, there's a reason there's a three milf in shorts won't it let's face it yeah uh but yeah this was revealed uh during the um nintendo direct mini uh that nintendo did in japan for some reason it was omitted from the from the western versions of the nintendo direct mini um but yeah it, it because the uh the japanese one was was broadcast at pretty much the same time everyone was immediately all over this trailer and koei tecmo was on twitter immediately afterwards confirming that yes it was coming west and everything so i mean that's not a surprise to anyone but uh still it's nice to have it confirmed so yeah not a lot of details um about the game itself yet uh, but there's an announcement trailer out now at the time of recording, and uh, there's apparently going to be a special movie in both English and Japanese premiering on July the 29th, uh, which again will be just after this uh, podcast uh, initially broadcasts. So watch out for that if you want to know a bit more or see whatever whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always up for more Atelier, so uh, there we go. Uh, next up, um, as part of the uh, aforementioned Nintendo Direct Mini, one Japanese game that was announced uh, for Western audiences is that Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne 
aka Lucifer's Call over here in Europe, um, is getting an HD remaster for PS4 and Switch. Uh, it looks like it's going to go back to being called uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne in Europe this time around, rather than the inexplicable name change it had last time. <laughs> I don't really know the reason behind that, but, uh, well, I, I do have a copy of the PS2 version, but uh, haven't played it yet, as with so many things. But yeah, you're um, you're quite a fan of this game, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, I, as someone who appreciates the mainline SMT games, um, this is great news. Um, mm-hmm. It's also cool because we're going to be getting the um, the second version of the game, which uh, was released after. Uh, so that for people who aren't like super big fans of SMT, one of the coolest things about Nocturne was that. Um, Atlas worked a licensing deal out with Capcom, and Dante from Devil May Cry was a guest character. Yes, I mean, that's a meme now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, obviously, later versions, when that license was no longer applicable, they made a different version of the game where uh, the guest character was uh, Raido Kuzonoha, which was one of the characters from the spin off SMT series. Yes, um, yes. So, he replaces Dante. So,. I'm really excited to to have that version of the game, like an an, an an excuse to buy that version of the game, which is very cool. Um, but yeah, this is a very traditional SMT game, right? So this doesn't have, um, you know, what everyone associates with like Persona. It doesn't have the visual novel elements. It's just very much a hardcore, challenging, collect your monsters and battle them in a post-apocalyptic Tokyo where everything is possessed by demons and there's a heavy morality element and yep. uh, occasional first person dungeon crawling um which is very much a harkening back to the ancient days of the series um it mm-hmm. kind of play it plays with that stuff a little bit uh yeah just a, just a great ps2 era rpg for people to revisit yeah yeah sounds good yeah, I'm just look, looking up to see if I could find any of the reasons for the name change in Europe. There doesn't seem to be an actual reason for it. Uh, but interestingly, this this was one of the first games released uh, by Ghostlight, uh, who are a uh, localization company who are still doing great work today. So, yeah, this was this was one of their first ones. Never, never knew that they were a subsidiary of uh, Midas Interactive, uh, beloved of shovelware enthusiasts everywhere. <laughs> but there you go. Anyway, um, yeah, along with the uh, Nocturne news, we also had confirmation that Shin Megami Tensei Five is launching in 2021 worldwide. Um, so we got uh, some new details on that as well, uh, which people have been waiting for for a very long time, uh, to such a degree that sort of waiting for Shin Megami Tensei Five news uh, became a bit of a meme on Twitter. I think there was um, there's at least one Twitter account that is like posting the same picture every day until we get new Shin Megami Tensei Five news. <laughs> And they've, they've had to stop now <laughs> after something like 900 days. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hardly news, but it's just like, hey, hey everybody, it still exists. Yeah, but it's it still, still exists. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, confirmed for launching on Switch in 2021 as a simultaneous global release. So you're not going to have to wait for a localization of that, which is nice. Um, but yeah, nothing more specific than 2021 at the minute. I'm sorry, I said, I'll take it. I love mainline SMT. Yep. Fair enough. All right, uh, continue on with more Nintendo Direct Mini news. Um, we have had an announcement that Cadence of Hyrule, which is the Zelda-themed spin-off of Crypt of the Necrodancer, uh, is getting a physical release in October of 2020. So um, that is going to have uh, the 
the base game plus all of the new season pass content uh so the season pass content is is uh has, has just been released for the original game i think the original game came out was it last year i think hard to tell at this point uh with yeah. the, <laughs> the strange distortion of time we're experiencing at the minute yeah. um but yeah the the season pass incorporates three downloadable content packs which has uh five new characters um uh, some new remixes of music and a new story mode map um, featuring Skull Kid. So the physical version is going to feature all of that, uh, hopefully on the cartridge itself. Whereas those of you who bought the digital version will be able to, uh, well, you already can, pick up the season pass, I think. So, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm glad I waited on this now because uh, I've wanted to play this for ages and have sort of hovered over the buy button on the eShop lots of times but mm-hmm. never quite pulled the trigger. But uh, now I can get a lovely copy for my shelf, which is nice. Yeah, I am just... I, I forget constantly how gorgeous the pixel art in this game is. Oh, it's it's glorious. Yeah, this this is <laughs> this is one of those games that just has such a such a wonderful audio visual aesthetic. It it just looks and sounds wonderful. It's it's just beautiful, beautiful. It really is, and it's so is the original Crypt of the Necrodancer as well. So I don't yeah. also love a physical version of that. Mm, <laughs> yes. Um, has there not been one of those? That's, that's no. that. Fe- that feels like something that there should have been a release of already, but uh, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. No, I'd have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. All right. Uh, carrying on. Uh, Sakuna of Race and Ruin has been confirmed to launch on November the tenth in North America, November twelfth in Japan, and November the twentieth in Europe. Uh, so uh, late twenty twenty, basically. Uh, this is the new game developed by um, Edelweiss, isn't it? Um, who yep. made Asterbreed, uh, which is a, a wonderful shoot 'em up. But this is um, it's an action RPG, isn't it? Basically, yeah, I think, I think it's a side-scrolling action RPG. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Here we are. So, so refined side-scrolling platform action, uh, and it's also got uh, simulation elements as well. So, sort of uh, along with the with the side-scrolling platforming. Uh, you've also um, you're also sort of planting crops and and cultivating uh, various harvests and rice and that sort of thing and building a home and that sort of thing, and it's all based on Japanese mythology and it looks lovely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm stunned by like the artwork. Even like I'm not usually one to to buy in for like the collector's edition if there's going to be a collector's in a standard edition because I don't really care about having stuff. Yeah, but I do. I, I almost want to get the collector's edition of this just because of how stunning the box art and everything is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's lovely, and and the in-game visuals are sort of really colourful and lush, and sort of got heavy heavy sort of colour saturation on them, so they're really vibrant and and that sort of thing. And it's yeah, looking absolutely lovely. I mean, this isn't a surprise from Edelweiss. Who, I mean, Asterbreed looks wonderful. Um, some of their lesser-known stuff is really nice as well. Um, this actually reminds me, in terms of presentation, slightly of uh, a game they did called Fairy Bloom Freesia, uh, which oh, yeah, is I'm familiar with that one. Uh, yeah, which is like a a, a platform beat 'em up basically uh, that they did before Asterbreed. Um, that you can get on PC uh, for Steam, so that that's a game I like, and it, it sort of looks like this is kind of building on some of the things they did in that game in terms of gameplay, and then adding the whole uh, simulation meta game to it as well. So, yeah, and this is going to be lovely, um, and this is coming out via it's uh, marvelous, isn't it? Who are bringing this to Europe and Exceed in North America? So, 
Yeah, so in North America, there's going to be a standard and a divine edition. So the divine edition actually isn't horrendously expensive. It's only $60. That includes an outer box with exclusive artwork, um, uh, the game itself, uh, an art book with 130 pages of illustrations, a full soundtrack of 42 songs on three CDs, and uh, a Omamori charm. Not sure what that is, but something Japanese. (laughs) But yeah, um, so the see the standard version of that game is going to be thirty nine ninety nine in North America, and the Divine Edition will be fifty nine ninety nine. Um, Marvelous Europe is also doing standard and limited editions. The standard edition is thirty four pound ninety nine or thirty nine euro ninety nine, and forty nine pound ninety nine or fifty nine euro ninety nine. Um, don't know if they're doing the same limited edition offhand. Um, because Marvelous sometimes does their own thing in Europe uh, compared to what XC does, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But it, it sounds like they're doing something similar. Sure. Cool. Right. Uh, carrying on. Um, a few episodes back, we talked about um, Onion Games bringing its game called Moon back, um, and they have finally launched the teaser websites for that game, um, which includes an English screenshot of Moon, which is uh, very encouraging to see um the switch version of moon uh has been out for just under a year in japan uh and there's a physical version coming on october the 15th um but they haven't announced any details of uh when the english version is coming yet but it 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 does appear to be coming based on this screenshot so um there's more details coming on july the 31st of 2020 um so shortly after this podcast airs again keep an eye out for the official website and in the meantime there's a teaser up where you can have a look at that screenshot um not much more to say on that right now i don't think um but yeah be intrigued to check this out because uh, i mean we talked about this a lot when this was first confirmed and announced um but yeah this sounds like a really really interesting game and it's good that it's getting a, a second chance uh, next up, uh, WayForward has said that its Game Boy Color games Shantae and Extreme Sports are going to get a release on Switch, and um, Limited Run Games are doing limited print physical editions of both of those games, uh, both for Switch and on Game Boy Color reproduction cartridges as well. So uh, if you finally want to own a copy of Shantae for Game Boy Color without paying £300 for it, for a cart only that's probably a reproduction anyway, uh, now you will be able to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I mean, this is, this is great. Um, the, the original Shantae is a really cool game. That um, I mean, they did do a digital re-release on 3DS, but I tend to find a lot of people just aren't very aware of digital stuff on 3DS, just because the, yeah. the eShop and that is so shit for discoverability. Um, but yeah, the, the Game Boy Color version has been on 3DS for ages, but. Um, it having a switch release and a limited run physical release will will bring it to a much wider audience which is great um i covered shantae the whole series on mario gamer a while back so uh check that out if you want to know a little bit more but suffice to say it is a fantastic game that you should definitely check out um extreme sports i don't know um are you familiar with this one at all no i mean so like there was a time in way forward's earliest days where i just like assumed their games were garbage right because it was <laughs> like because i was like a crappy teenager and i was like what is this dumb western company that's just like aping an anime aesthetic like these games probably aren't good yeah. and also like why would i ever play an extreme sports game on game boy color mm-hmm. like so i never played this i knew nothing about it but it does apparently have some light rpg elements 
Uh, yeah, so who knows? It's it's way forward. I want to play it now because yeah, way definitely. forward or die, like they're the best. So <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't know this this game at all. But uh, in my experience, sort of revisiting some of WayForward's earlier stuff through um, through emulation and, and and things like that. Yeah, there's some really cool stuff. Like I remember um, checking out the I think it was the Sabrina the Teenage Witch game. Yeah, and it's, it's really good. It, and it's it's no. another Shantae game. <laughs> yeah. Or no, you think, is that the Wendy yeah. the Witch game, the Casper one? Every yes. which way. Yeah. That's really good. Basically, what's insane about Way Forward is this is like a total tangent, right? But like, Way Forward often makes licensed games in an effort to obviously keep the studio running and fund their passion projects. Yeah. But like the thing is like Way Forward's licensed games are goddamn solid games. Yeah. So it's like hilarious because they made a, a Thor game when the first Thor movie came out. Yeah. Mar- Marvel's Thor for the DS. Uh it's a ridiculously beautiful side scroller made with like all the same like love and like attention to pixel art quality that their passion project games are. It just happens to be a Marvel licensed game. It's a solid game. Same thing they did uh they did a game based on that um Hotel Transylvania property. Yeah. And it and it like is a it's a solid side scroller that I've heard people compare to like Castlevania. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. Like but so they just make good games even though they're usually working with like a weird license. So Yeah. It, they're yeah. a fascinating company to explore. Yeah. I'm just looking at some footage of this extreme sports game now. This looks great. <laughs> yeah, it's I've never played it, but like it has a good reputation like retrospectively but like back in the day right like let's be honest the game boy color specifically was shuffleware paradise oh yeah absolutely so you see something that's like extreme sports was like uh, back in the day like it was really easy to shrug off so shantae was really easy to shrug off that's why the cart goes for like a million dollars right like yeah one of the you know the, the story behind shantae is shantae launched at the same time from capcom as resident evil gaiden and uh, in order to buy Resident Evil Gaiden, uh, distributors were forced to purchase copies of Shantae with Resident Evil Gaiden just to move it out. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't really treated with respect, and it wasn't really out in a time where there was interest in a game like this. Like, you couldn't have even really advertised it for what it was. People, like, only, like, the hardest of the hardcore would have been like, oh, okay, this is essentially a tribute to Wonder Boy. Like, nobody would have picked up on that in, in, in the time it was before the internet was at its apex and like game journalism online and like retro the whole retro phase like this was an indie an indie side scroller retro infused indie side scroller before it was even a thing really when you think about Shantae yeah it was yeah way ahead of its time and this extreme sports probably is too but yeah, I would yeah. I would encourage anybody. Obviously, this news is exciting about these two, but to check out any of uh, Wave Forward's back catalog. Uh, I know I've mentioned um, Sigma Star Saga on this podcast many times before for the Game Boy Advance. That's a super innovative game that I super recommend. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about this extreme sports thing now. Like I say, I'm just looking at some footage of it while we talk here, and like, like the the pixel art, and this is lovely. Yeah, there's like yeah. some there's like some lovely sort of Shantae style cutscenes. Uh, the female protagonist Guppy is lovely. <laughs> yeah, um, oh yeah. 
Yeah, and there's there's some of that patented way forward um, titty bounce going on in the sprites as well, which is nice. Eight, an eight bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just look at Guppy wandering around on the on the um, on the field screens, and she's just she's just jiggling all over the place. It's a delight. Ah, wonderful. Um, continuing on with way forward news, um, they've also teased that there's some more River City Girls stuff on the way, uh, probably called River City Girls Zero from the sound of things. Uh, there's no details on that at the minute, um, but yeah, it's it's happening. So that's good because River City Girls is a lot of fun. I need to finish that actually. I haven't got around to beating it yet, but um, yeah, me neither. Mm. But yeah, that's that's a cool game and sort of revisiting um, some of the early Technos stuff. Um, with the Evercade recently has sort of given given me a new appreciation of of how much Technos fan service they've put into River City Girls as well. There's yeah. like there's like little little nods to everything right back to Renegade in there as well. It's it's great. So yeah, they've they've really done a, a, a good job with that. Um, so yeah, watch out for for new news on that at some point in the near future. Um, next one, you're going to have to educate me on this one because uh, I, I, I know the name and nothing else. But uh, Square Enix has filed a trademark for. Uh, how do you say this? Is it Live Alive or Live Alive? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I've never yeah. heard it said. I've only read it, right? right well, actually, <laughs> actually, the the there's um, Katakana under the title, isn't it? It's Raibu or Raibu. So Live Alive, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. So so t tell me about this because I know this is this is exciting news for those who know what it is. Yeah, so Live Alive is a RPG for the Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom that was never brought over to the West, never localized, mm -hmm. um, from Square Enix back in just their heyday of 16-bit games where they were making lots of weird stuff and seeing what stuck. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh, it's got a little bit of saga DNA. Like, there's more. It's basically a game with like multiple stories that you play through as a variety of characters. I think there's seven characters overall, and it's like they're all short, like ten hour stories or like brief okay. stories. And um, just some of them are bizarre. Some of them are a bit more serious. There's kind of tonal shifts, and um, the big deal is the the battle system had like a strategic element where you actually like moved characters around on a map but it's not a strategy rpg in the traditional sense the battle sequence had a, had that element so it's kind of a innovative in that sense it was from okay. 1994 uh it, and it was the first game uh directed by the fellow who would then move on to direct chrono trigger so it's kind of a teeth cutting kind of thing so yeah if you're yeah. really interested in classic rpg um pedigree and kind of the history of a lot of these developers um it's a really neat game to play yeah yeah so i mean there's no specific news on this yet all it is is a, a trademark filing but they have filed the trademark in australia europe and canada so far so yeah and that doesn't necessarily mean anything but it's it's sort of the first movement there's been for the from the series in about 26 years so yeah. uh people did sit up and pay attention when they saw it happening so yeah uh, we'll have to wait and see if anything comes of that but uh yeah last, fingers crossed. last time this happened romancing saga 3 in english happened and yeah. and then there was an asian physical copy that happened of that so <laughs> i the my fingers are so crossed that my middle finger hurts <laughs> this game is really neat yep 
All right. Uh, next up, we've got news that a third Shadow Warrior game is on the way, which is great news because I love, love, love the previous two. Yes. Um, so uh, there's there's a 17 minute gameplay video out there now. If you want to see what it's all about, it seems like the sort of the sort of big thing they're hyping up in this version is a um, a kind of free running system in there. Which, to be fair, the previous two had in there, but it seems they're making a bigger deal of it this time. Um, but it's Shadow awesome. Warrior two in particular um has sort of a really good sense of um sort of almost platform game style movement from first person perspective like you can double dump double dump double jump and uh air dash and all that sort of thing um and sort of uh climb up ledges and that kind of thing um but yeah yeah so this this is looking very cool it's looking authentically shadow warrior with lots of weird demonic entities and gore everywhere and low wang spouting his usual nonsense so yeah i'm definitely up for this yeah. um does it say if they're doing the same kind of rpg thing they did with shadow warrior 2 because I, I i really like that but some people um yeah. would have preferred it to be um a bit more like the first one a bit more of a sort of linear sequence of levels it doesn't seem to say on the um on the steam page at the minute um yeah, i don't know uh, there also appears to be like a grappling hook thing going on. Did you, did you see yeah. that in the footage? That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So judging judging by their Steam page, they are um, sort of uh, selling things that have been a, a part of the previous Shadow Warrior things, which is sort of the mix of first-person shooting and first-person melee strikes. So um, you can sort of quickly switch between those things and sort of soften up an enemy with your guns and then go in for the, the strike with your katana. Um, they're specifically talking about dynamic combat arenas, uh, which leads me to believe it's going to be a bit more like the first one, because the first Shadow Warriors felt very inspired by stuff like Painkiller, mm -hmm. um, in that the levels were very much a sequence of monster arenas that you progress through. Um, so if, if they return to that that sort of gameplay and structure, I think that's going to make a lot of people very happy indeed, because that was a real highlight of the first one um but it sounds like the big new thing they're introducing in this is a lot of interactive structures and things within those arenas so there'll, there'll yeah. be um elements of the environment that you can make use of to um continue dealing with your enemies and so on yeah there's some so great footage in the, the one video where there's just like a giant like grind like two drums with like spiked teeth on him and he like feeds the one like monster like into it <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, these games are great yeah oh, i love them yeah so i i'm really happy that they're they're doing a new one because yeah they're, they're really good games and they're really technically proficient as well like they they, yeah. they are some of the best looking games i think i've played for a long time they're they they've got kind of the that sort of triple a polish on them but they they're also nicely stylized as well so they don't go going for that sort of completely bland photorealism thing that a lot of triple a stuff goes for they've, they've got a very strong sense of style about them no, which i really they, like they feel like a comic book they feel like an yeah. interactive comic book yeah yeah so uh at the moment the, the planned release date for that is 2021 that's that's all they're saying for the minute um but yeah that's on the way and there's a 20 minute gameplay video for you to enjoy in the meantime right uh next up uh, during the Xbox event that happened recently, um, Sega announced Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis. 
uh, which no one seems to quite know exactly what it is. Um, but it appears to be, well, they're, they're kind of positioning it as a new game in the Fantasy Star Online 2 series, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, which oh. has led a lot of people to sort of conjecture that they're going to try and pull a, a, a Realm Reborn style reboot of the game. Um, and also uh, what they appear to be trying to do with it is uh, bringing the Western and Japanese versions uh, into um, sync with each other. So I, I think this is this is going to be an attempt to sort of reboot the game and, and get, get everyone on the same page in terms of content. Um, Sega has said on Twitter specifically that um, y- your current characters and progress will matter. Uh, so if it is a new game you'll be able to carry over your progress from the original and if it is a a realm reborn style reboot of it then well uh, again you'll you'll be able to just carry across your existing characters so um yeah it's not something you'll have to start afresh on um it certainly looks very nice um but we don't really know what it is so that's that (laughs) yeah i mean they, they have since clarified a lot of stuff since yeah. the announcement, um, they've said that your character will be able to carry over, but the, your levels won't. So, like, you'll be able to use your weapons and like s- certain items that you've collected, but you're going to start from square one in terms of your levels. Okay. Um, yeah. And your your appearance can carry over, but can then later be edited. They've said it's basically a different game, and it will run in parity with two. So, like, the two are planned to run simultaneously at least oh, for okay. a while. It's right. not. It is a new game, a different game, but not a replacement necessarily. I'm sure it will replace it eventually. Um, they've also said that the design aesthetic, the design sensibility, has shifted a bit to like op- more like open fields instead of these like instance dungeons, the way that uh, PSO2 currently functions. So right. basically, bringing the bringing it to more of like a modern standard which makes sense because as we talked about with pso2 it's a it's a lovely game but it's also ancient and it really shows its age these days yes yeah. yeah okay well that's um yeah i i, I hadn't i hadn't caught up on a, a lot of those clarifications since say so that's that's good to know all right um next thing coming up is uh, a new game from yuji naka and naoto oshima who uh were the creators of sonic the hedgehog um yeah they are making a new game called balan wonderworld um which is a uh well what is it really (laughs) it's a old school 3d platformer (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it looks um, like sonic and mario and and uh it has a heavy i would say more than anything and making sense because it's yuji naka it has major vibes of like billy hatcher and uh, knights yes yes yeah, there's def- definite nights vibes going on with sort of floating islands and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, there's it seems to be sort of sort of floating islands in the sky, and it looks like there's um, environments sort of shifting and kind of twisting as you as you're going through them as well. Well, that might just be the perspective, but yeah, this this looks really nice. It's it's a very colourful um, look. Kind of reminds me slightly of um, Sonic Lost World in a few places as well. Yeah, for sort of sure. sort of the the, the sort of green field segments but yeah in 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 many respects this sort of almost looks like it's going to be a a, a best of yuji naka <laughs> yeah no yeah for sure and i guess the the whole focus of the game is on like costume changes there's like a ton of costumes your character can shift between and every costume is going to have different abilities and affect the gameplay in different ways yeah um so that's that's interesting um 
it's also cool because this is, I guess, the first game in what Square Enix is touting. It's like a whole imprint. So they've started yes. this like Balan Studios, and I guess what they're going to do is kind of this whole Balan, whatever that is, is going to be a kind of a play space for like other developers and stuff to make kind of different sorts of games set in this like common universe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. I love when studios do stuff like that because you get some really weird games out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. And, and sort of them specifically uh, specifically trying to open it up to um, other other developers and people within Square Enix and its partners, they've said. Uh, so it's not just going to be internal Square Enix uh, developers. It's going to be people who work with Square Enix as well. Yeah, potentially very interesting, that. And I'm definitely interested to see... Um, what Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima come up to, with, yeah. with next. These very colourful, very smooth looking, some lovely character designs, um, the sort of costume side of things looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, well up for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when is it coming? It says... So, so far we've only had Xbox One and Xbox Series X versions. Um, sorry, no, the Xbox Showcase confirmed the Xbox One and Xbox Series X versions. Uh, but it's subsequently been confirmed that Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and PC versions are coming as well. Yeah. Could this be uh, the first PS5 game I'm excited about? <laughs> could well be. Could well be. Could well be. Um, yeah, that's coming in spring 2021. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, next up, uh, Dragon Quest uh, 11S. Uh, is getting uh, an Xbox One and PS4 release. So this is this is the enhanced expanded Switch version is now getting backported to Xbox One and PS4, um, and they're releasing it as a separate game rather than as a DLC or patch for the original version, um, which a few people have been a bit unhappy about. But other people have pointed out that um, Dragon Quest XI S actually runs on a completely different engine, so. Um, yeah, it's it's not just a case of porting the new content into the old game. Um, they've had to sort of rebuild the game and and then put that new stuff in there. So um, they've they've said that the visuals will be different from the original, uh, presumably reflecting the new engine, which a lot of people have, have interpreted as they will have a downgrade. Um, yeah, it totally will. Yeah, but um, I, I mean, we, we'll have to wait and see. But basically, the important thing here is that you're getting all of the additional content that was in the subsequent Switch release of the game. So if you've been holding off on Dragon Quest XI uh, because, for whatever reason, you didn't want to play it on Switch or you, you wanted to see if this was going to happen, well, now it's happening. So, yeah. Um, it's coming to Xbox One and will be available on Xbox Game Pass as well. So if you're a subscriber to that, you'll be able to play that through there. Uh, which is cool. Microsoft seems to be seems like it's going to be really be pushing Game Pass in particular with um, the new generation of Xbox. So expect a lot of fairly big name stuff to show up on there. Uh, I mean, it already does, but um, yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. Seeing something like Dragon Quest on there is is encouraging. But uh, I mean, it's still a subscription service, so it's still not something I'm personally and particularly interested in. But uh, I know people have a lot of nice things to say about. Uh, game pass it's, it seems to be quite quite good value if you're into that kind of uh that kind of distribution yeah it's become clear that it's it is the identity essentially becoming the identity of the new xbox yeah like i mean don't forget that much like the ps5 there is a disc driveless version of the new xbox right so happening yeah yeah uh you want to talk about Ayuden chronicle <laughs> yeah yeah 
Okay, so um, Ayudin Chronicle is uh, a new Kickstarter project uh, from a company called Rabbit and Bear Studios. Um, but yeah, this is um, this is a team spearheaded by the the people who made uh, Suikoden. So it's Yoshitaka Muriyama and Junko Kawano who are uh, coming back together for the first time in twenty five years. Um, this new game um, has only been announced for PC so far, but um, given the sort of connections to Suikoden, there's no way this isn't going to meet its funding goal and exceed it by ridiculous proportions. It seems to um, me like it's all a ploy, right? To make console to yeah. make console versions a stretch goal. Like that, what they've essentially done is put a carrot and stick in there to I guarantee people are going to push it past its funding goal into the stretch yeah, goal. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't want this on PC. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why on earth would you want... Why... <laughs> Like I yeah I, I get that over the years their ha- Japanese style R- RPGs have become a staple on PC, but like dear God, why would you want a <laughs> why, why would you want a spiritual successor to Suikoden on on PC exclusively? Like <laughs> this is coming to console. Someone's gonna press a physical copy of yep. it. So let's just clear up the pretense. Let's put the physical copy. $70 buy-in stretch goal, I mean uh, reward tier on that Kickstarter yep. from the get-go so I can throw $70 at it. Because, <laughs> yes. because what's happening now is I'm going to throw $5 at it. Yeah. But then if a console version gets released, then I'll pitch in if a physical copy tier is added. Yeah. Like, just, just stop. Stop the dance and let's let's give the people what they want. <laughs> Yeah. Let me treat it like a pre-order, and then you can have more of my money right up yeah, front. Yeah. Well, it's, it's worth noting at the, at the time of recording, as we're recording on the 25th of uh, of July. The Kickstarter is set to launch on July the 27th, so no one's actually sort of seen the full details of it yet, like what they're asking for or what the stretch goals are. So it's, enti- it's yeah. entirely possible that uh, they will announce console versions as part of this Kickstarter. Um so we'll have to wait and see but by the time you listen to this that kickstarter will hopefully be up and running uh, and you can throw your money at it so um in terms of the game um it's a two and a half d game so taking the kind of approach that octopath traveler did uh, so you've got these lovely sort of pixel art sprites and um what appear to be three-dimensional backgrounds uh, that have a very sort of lovely hand-painted look to them um and in true Suikoden style, uh, there's a uh, hundred characters to recruit for your army. Um, battles will be turn-based with parties of six, and there will apparently be elements of building towns in there as well. So, um, it's it is a new Suikoden game in all but name, from the sound of things. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, even look at the characters. If you look at the, the two main characters, it's just the two main characters from Suikoden Two. Yeah. Like they're not even trying to like <laughs> disguise it. It, it is like but seriously ha- have you watched that video if that's legit what the combat looks like in this game i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> that was so like dynamic and like beautifully presented i mean i'm sure it was just proof of concept but if that's anything like what they're hoping to have in the game like every battle is going to be like a feast for the eyes like that was ridiculous characters were like perched not just like in a line but like actually positioned around an environment and like they, it would almost look like a pop-up book 
how they were like parallax layers and like the characters would like jump in and attack and there was like dynamic camera zooming like it was very much a uh it had the feel of like sweet golden 2's battle system um how that kind of had like these dynamic camera zooms and stuff but just like enhanced with obviously like modern capabilities and the whole thing had this beautiful painterly uh design aesthetic to it it's double enhanced by the fact that one of the characters is like a painter <laughs> with a paintbrush as a yeah. weapon like, it's just it, this thing could be beautiful um if it really looks like this kind of prototype footage yeah 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 looking forward to, to to seeing a bit more of that so like i say by the time you listen to this podcast that kickstarter will probably be up and running if not it'll be uh, later in the day so uh, go check that out and throw your money at it if it's something you want to see more of Okay, uh, a few more things to go through. Um, we have had an announcement that uh, the Ask Iwata interviews uh, that uh, Nintendo used to publish on their website before Iwata sadly passed away um, is getting a, a, a book collecting all of these interviews together. Uh, and that's going to be released as both digital and print. Uh, and the print version looks like it's going to be like a lovely hardback copy of this. So this is something I want because I've, um, in in researching things for Mario Gamer, I've referred to so many Ask Iwata interviews over the years because it, oh yeah, it's such it's such a great way of. Um, I mean, it, 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 Iwata is a, a a character in his own right, but. Um, he asks really insightful questions and those interviews uh, provide great insights into all sorts of different games from over the years so it's always been fascinating so to have all of those collected into a book will just be delightful so that's going to be published by viz media um, and that's coming in spring 2021 so uh, keep an eye out for that then uh, other things uh, we talked about fight crab a few episodes ago uh, fight crab is releasing on september the 15th of 2020 so from then you will be able to enjoy crab fighting action game fight crab um yeah <laughs> anything more to add about fight crab no just i i remember how excited we were about it last time <laughs> so when i saw we had an official western release date I knew I had to share because <laughs> I want to be a spider crab with drill arms and fight a lobster with a chain hook. <laughs> like this. Oh dear! Right. Okay. Last thing we got for today um, is that Thunderful Publishing and the Steamworld developers Image and Form Games have announced a game called The Gunk, uh, which is coming to Xbox Series X, Xbox One, and PC. I'm doing a lot of Xbox news today. That's surprising for us. Um, a lot of interesting games came from that event. Mm. I can't help it. I mean, most of them were also confirmed for PlayStation platforms. Yes. This is the only game out of that event that... Well, that's, that's a lie. I would love to get my hands on that new Rare game, too. Yeah. Um, but this was one of the few games that for that event weren't eventually reconfirmed as multi-platform. Mm -hmm. um, this has not been talked about for, say, Switch or... or playstation platforms yet but it is for the pc so if it's not on playstation i'll be able to play it on the pc yeah but uh, i just i just really like image and forms work mm -hmm. um i haven't played anything by them that i didn't really enjoy yeah um specifically they do a lot of the kind of design work i like where they take a specific genre um and then innovate within that genre in unique ways so like uh steamworld heist is an example of really good design that i like to talk about where they took they said well let's make a traditional strategic turn-based game um 
but we're going to put it in the in the context of a side scroller. So it's like a strategy RPG that plays out as a side scroller. Yeah. Or like when they when they decided that they were going to make a turn-based RPG, they made sure to mix it with a collectible card mm-hmm. game. So like they're they're really interested in kind of unique plays with genre and mechanics um so this is a 3d platformer so i'm really curious to see what they do with the 3d platformer yeah 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 so so the the concept of this game is that there's there's a planet has been uh sort of taken over by this uh this this gunk which is a slimy parasite and your main character's got this this power glove that can absorb the gunk and um, make use of it for various purposes so you can manipulate the environment with it or you can attack enemies with it um and you explore these uh sort of varied environments from the look of things you've got this lovely sort of otherworldly landscape to explore and caves with sort of neon glowing stones in the walls and that kind of thing and yeah, it looks 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 potentially very interesting. It's got a, a very distinctive uh, look and feel about it. The the promo art has got that sort of um, how do you describe that? I, I mean, it's a hand painted look, but it's kind of quite reminiscent of sort of old movie posters, isn't it? I was gonna say it very much makes me think of um, like old movie posters and specifically old like weird fiction magazines. Yes, from like, yes, that's what I was thinking of. So like like pulp magazines and that sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly exactly yeah yeah so so this this looks kind of cool um and this is coming in september of 2021 um like i said at the moment it's only been out for xbox series x xbox one and pc nothing about other platforms as yet but uh i mean you never know there's like over a year before this is happening so there may be it's gonna come yeah i'd, I'd be let's like console wars are over yeah uh, like you just either buy whatever console you want like with the exception of exclusives like to be a company to make an independent game like this and not make it on both consoles unless microsoft paid them like a billion dollars mm-hmm. like it would be suicide not to put yeah. it on all, all platforms and it, even if Microsoft did pay them a billion dollars, like we've seen this happen before, in like a year they'll just be like the Gunk X, <laughs> and, 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 and like so it's technically a different game. It'll have yeah. all the DLC and season pass content, and then it'll come to PlayStation. Like, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, these things don't like this. It, these things don't happen like they used to. I mean, the rare game obviously will be Xbox exclusive that I mentioned because. Microsoft owns Rare now, but mm-hmm. like uh, otherwise, you know, stuff independent stuff like this, it, it, it's only a matter of time before it becomes con- even like a. Remember Below? I mean, Below, uh, that game from Capybara Games that was originally announced as like a big bad Xbox exclusive on their like indie games platform. Yeah. Um, that's getting an enhanced edition on all platforms. So the best version of the game isn't going to be Xbox exclusive. <laughs> so. so I don't know. Buy the console you want, and you can play most things. Yep. The, the end. Pretty much. If you're patient. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And uh, so the, the majority of my uh, games coming from limited-run companies these days has taught me a lot of patience. <laughs> anyway. I, I don't... Like, there's never not games to play. No, exactly. Like, exactly. I, mean, I don't care anymore. I don't care about having games at launch anymore. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't play multiplayer or online stuff at all, so it, it doesn't matter to me if if I don't play something at launch. Um, it doesn't even really matter to me about sort of 
quote unquote being part of the conversation when something comes out because you that's know that's the only other big reason if you're not into the multiplayer right yeah but i mean like a lot a lot of the conversations these days are so predictable anyway that it, yeah. it's it's not until people have spent sort of a, a good amount of time with these games and divorced it from the context of release hype and so on and any sort of release controversies and so on that you start to get the really interesting discussion over over these games anyway so i i mean this is why i'm currently covering a ps2 rpg from 2009 in great detail <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah well i mean I buy into hype a little bit because I like to watch trailers. And like, I, I want to play these games, but I know I won't play them seriously at launch anyway because I'm always yeah. playing something older. So like, yeah. I yeah. think back to like like recently, like of course, as a specifically like I have a degree in East Asian history, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like I, that is what my my mass uh, my bachelor's degree is in interdisciplinary history and government studies with a focus on East Asia. Like I studied japanese history for four years of my life like i have a piece of paper that says i know a lot about it (laughs) so so obviously like i was super excited about everything about ghost of tsushima yeah right like like wow a really interesting game exploring an often not talked about part of japanese history like obviously everything about that game is like chris needs to play this but like I luckily I have a buddy who buys into launch hype a lot more than me, especially for AAA <laughs> games. So I just played his copy for an hour to know that it was good, and now I can't wait to buy the complete edition on the PS5 in two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I just you know I don't I don't I don't do it, and, and nobody will be talking about it then, so I can actually enjoy it without having to wade through the bullshit of online conversations about whether or not it's cultural misappropriation for a Western studio to make a game about samurais. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, you can just uh. enjoy it at my own pace. Indeed. Indeed. All right. We've gone on for nearly an hour there on news, so uh, not bad for... Uh, well, we, we didn't say it was a quiet week this time, but uh, yeah. Well, it's plenty- also been like five weeks since our last time. Yeah, exactly. So plenty to talk about there. So we're going to take a short break now and uh, probably get a drink. I certainly need one. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. So we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our second segment, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, Chris, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so uh, happy to report that I finally finished my uh, first playthrough of Sakura Wars, the new Sakura Wars. Uh, found the individual character ending portion of it not satisfying enough to know that I don't need to bother playing through it with any of the other characters. So I got, my, I got my cute Hatsuho ending, and now I've moved on to Trials of Mana. Oh, okay. Which is something Excellent. I've much been looking forward to playing, and I didn't even want to start it until I knew I could give it my wholehearted attention, because I'm a very big fan of the Secret of Mana series. Excellent. Um, so this is, the, this is the new version you're playing, yeah? Correct, yeah, not the, yeah. Not the 16-bit one. Although I, I will admit, uh, as a great personal failure, that I've never played actually never played Seekin Setsu 3 in a 16-bit version. I've, so I'm not coming at this remake from a position of any kind of 
uh, knowledge about Seekin and Setsu Three other than what I've read. But um, yeah, it, it is thus far just a delightful 3D action RPG set in a colorful, friendly world. Um, so, Trials of Man or Seekin and Setsu Three is really interesting in that um, it did a lot of innovative stuff that wasn't really common of 16-bit games at the time. So yeah. it took a lot of what was great about the original Secret of Mana or Seekin and Setsu 2 and um, added a day-night cycle. Okay, um, yeah. Um, six playable characters, um, of which when you start a file, you choose three of them. Right. So, so there's a tremendous uh, emphasis on possibility for replay because you can't have all the characters in a single playthrough. Um and then, uh, in an interesting move for a action RPG uh, class system, okay, which yep. was not really, still isn't particularly common for um, action RPGs. It's usually a turn-based RPG thing. Um, so, like each character can be taken on a light or dark path that changes their ability sets. So, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. What, one of the things I like about it, uh, I wasn't really sure what they would do with the combat in it, because um, one of the things I love about the original uh, Seiken and Setsu games, at least the, the first one on Super Nintendo, and also subsequent kind of reboots, like I'm thinking about Sword of Man on the Game Boy Advance, um, yeah. there's always been a sense with, or at least the original Seiken and Setsu games, that the combat should, in a way, have a timing and a cadence that kind of recreates the feel of it being turn-based. Like, very, yeah. very strong hit-stun, um, short combos with, like, a pause in between, um... It's not like an East game where you can just like a modern East game where you just like hammer on attack and do these like flourishing combos like smoothly. <laughs> there's there's a, there's a haltingness to it which is intentional. Yeah. Um, so I was really happy to see that they brought that into the new one. Um, it still feels like that. There's very much like a three four hit combo then dodge and, and like there's a sense of rhythm and cadence to the combat that feels very faithful to the old 16-bit titles mm -hmm. so i'm really liking that um just uh, i like cute games i like games that are set in like colorful worlds with like chubby faces and big bright eyes and, and yep. pastels everywhere and um they really just took the world of the 16-bit um, Seekin and Setsu aesthetic and translated it beautifully into 3D modern hardware and I'm really having a great time with it. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard I, I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of people have been playing this. Pe both people who are new to it and people who are familiar with the original have, have had nothing but good things to say about this, which is which is really good because I know that that Secret of Mana remake um, from a while back was was not quite as well received uh, because it. it like you said a while back it wasn't as much of a substantial reimagining of the game so much as it was a sort of reskin almost yeah but I'm it's still it's not quite it's... sure what people's beef with that game is because mm. maybe maybe that is what their beef is right that it wasn't a sub substantial re it's just a reskin basically but like yeah all the problems with that game are persistent from secret of mana yeah like yeah. when i when i used to read like people complaining about the that that 3d remake 
people were like, well, the combat sucks and it's awkward. And, yeah, huh? That, that's the original Secret of Mana because it was meant <laughs> it, because it was meant to emulate a turn-based game. So you have to strike and then pause, then move out of the way, plan your next strike. It, yeah, it was a very specific design, and I, I don't think a lot of people were prepared for that who hadn't played yeah. the original. I don't know. Yeah. Not not yeah. to get on that soapbox, but no, that's that's fine. But if if people think Secret of Mana is awkward, they obviously haven't played Final Fantasy Adventure. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. I I still haven't explored that collection of Mana I've got, but I, yeah, I've got that and the the remake of Trials of Mana queued up on my shelf to explore at some point. So yeah, I I will almost certainly do a Mana feature at some point. Um, so um, but That'll yeah, glad exciting. to hear that you're having a good time with that. Yeah, there was Good a stuff. lot of room for disappointment there, so I'm, I'm very very pleased to report that it's um, it's cool. And uh, it, it helps that I currently have a party of not one, but two adorable princesses and a werewolf. So yep. I'm, pre- I'm, yep. pretty, I'm in a pretty good place. Yeah, I am all about the girls and leotards in that game. It's, it's heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a good time. Oh, dear. All right, anything else you've been up to? Uh, no, just a lot of engagement with the Evercade, um, yep. which I don't, I'm kind of, I don't want to talk too much about it because I think there's opportunity there for dedicated episodes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But let's just say that it, it continues to be a delight and I continue to make new discoveries every day with it and just the, the effort that the people at Blaze have made to curate collections of interesting games and not just the stuff you expect is greatly appreciated it's really just i think i've come to identify that as the hallmark of this console it's not just about playing the stuff you expect on a collection it's i'm making i'm playing new old games that i never would have had an opportunity to play before and it's just making me happy all the time yes that that seems to be their exact intention with it um there's been a a lot of discussions about this sort of thing on uh, sort of the official discord and so on and there's um there's like frequent discussions over so like what game collections would you like to see next and most of the time any anyone who brings that i was like like if someone says oh i want to see like a sega collection or something like that a lot of people go well no because i can play a sega collection on any number of, of of platforms at the moment there is a sega genesis collection on everything going right back to like ps2 so so yeah p- people are more interested in seeing things from companies who don't get represented in these compilation re-releases quite so often so like there's wow. there's like a uh, there's a rich vein of taito stuff that we haven't yes. seen resurrected since the ps2 era for example mm-hmm. um there's loads of irem stuff yeah. um there's, there's all the stuff top on my hit list irem and, yeah. Chem- and chemco and yep, yep. Vic Takai, and uh, just all those weirdo like sub third party developers that were like all over the place making weird shit in the sixteen bit era. Yeah, exactly. And then there's 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 all the potential for things like exploring the European home computers and stuff as well. Yes. So like people have, people have expressed a big interest in like an Amiga collection or a ZX mm-hmm. Spectrum collection and that sort of thing. So I would love a Cynosis collection with like yeah. Shadow of the Beast yeah yeah that would be fantastic sort of like their, their amiga stuff was is sort of what we would describe today as console quality because sort yeah. of the, uh, a lot of times you, you tend to think of like home computer stuff being a little bit inferior to the console stuff but certainly the the amiga was very much capable of stuff that was on a par or better than 
um what the what the genesis the mega drive could do at the time it's like stuff like shadow of the beast yeah. uh, all that sort of thing just incredible smooth scrolling digital music immensely colorful backgrounds like pre-tomb yeah. raider core like like wolf child uh yeah or, or like oh wouldn't it be great to have a gremlin collection with like the old top gears and uh like zool and <laughs> yeah 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 so many so many old developers who who um I mean, in some cases, it's it's not entirely clear who the IPs ended up in the hands of. Like, for example, that uh, Top Gear ended up with with Pico, for example, uh, because that that came out via Chemco. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So there's there's all sorts of convoluted history to sort out among there. But some of the groundwork has already been laid for some of that with um, things like the um, the Spectrum Next that came out a while back and the C64 Mini and so on. So uh, when when those came out, um, th- sort of the licensing status of those games became a bit clearer and um, it will make it a bit easier to get in contact with the relevant people to make these things happen again. So, yeah, I, th- I think the, the Evercade has the potential to provide a real resurgence for a lot of stuff that we haven't seen for 30-plus years in some cases. Yeah, which yeah, I'm all about. I'm all about definitely. But even within the context of the 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 stuff that um, is a bit more well known, like the Namco stuff, that I love the fact that the Namco collections on this include stuff that I've never seen before. Like I've yes. talked about, I've talked about Starluster before. But Starluster is a fantastic take on Star Raiders from uh, Namco that I never knew existed until I put their cartridge in my Evercade and booted yeah. it up. I go, I go, oh, what's this? And then I started playing it. It was like, oh my god, this is Star Raiders for the NES. <laughs> Have you played the Pac-Man puzzle game? Yes, yes. I was familiar with that before, but that is, a, I was that not. is a great game. I was yeah. not. And uh, and like I, I know I've said like forty times whenever we talk about the Evercade, but um, uh, Burning Force is one of my favorite games of all time. Growing up, yep. so like yep. Burning Force that I can take anywhere with me now is a yep. delight. Delightful, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you, you mentioned core design as well. There is a there is a early core design game on the Pico collection in the form of Switchblade. Yeah, yep. I was uh, just going to say that. Yeah, Switchblade is a really interesting game. It's it, it seems very clunky when you first start playing it, but once you get your head around it, it's a really interesting uh, open structure two D platform game from the early days. Um, so well worth well worth taking a look at that. My but God. as you say, as you say, um, we have at least several dedicated episodes in those Evercade games for us. So I definitely just... want to specifically do an episode dedicated to the Pico collection. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Holy shit. <laughs> and and the hope that there's a pico collection too like yeah. please give me more of this weird stuff yeah well, i mean i mean pico have got a lot of stuff in their portfolio now so i i'm, I'm sure it will happen at some point i know the the pico collection has sort of been one of the most challenging ones for the uh ever team to sort of deal with because a lot of the stuff is based on like unfinished prototypes and um stuff that never got released or localized as well so uh it's it's been challenging for them and there's been some games on there that have had some bugs and issues but uh all credit to the people at blaze they have been working their asses off to get firmware updates out for the console that fix uh various bugs and problems the latest firmware update for the evercade at the time of recording allows you to remap the controls on uh genesis games oh, as well shit, so I want it. how do you um, do so, the firmware updates do you just hook up you, to usb yeah you just you just download a file um there's a, a bit of software and you just connect the evercade via usb and it's, it's dead easy it takes like 
a couple of minutes cool it's easy so yeah yeah all credit to them for for staying on top of that and and listening to what people are saying because it would have been so easy for them to just sort of shit out this stuff and and then leave it behind and ignore it but no they haven't which is which is great it gives me a a lot of confidence for those future releases all right good stuff um so like you say there's there's almost definitely going to be some evercade episodes in our near future so uh look forward to them so i guess we'll move on to what i've been playing recently then so uh main thing i've been playing is manakemia 2 which i don't think i've talked about on this podcast yet so i'll i'll take a bit of time to talk about it now uh manakemia 2 is part of the atelier series so i'm covering it on my gamer as part of my atelier mega feature right now it's the 10th mainline atelier game and the fifth to be released in the west um or the fifth to be released in north america anyway because it didn't come to europe um possibly because uh it's a playstation 2 game uh with sprites and an isometric perspective that came out in 2009 so for context that's like the same year as resident evil 5 and <laughs> all manner of other things as well but uh no uh, that, that that is probably the reason why it's not especially well known but as we say so often on this thing take stuff on its own merits in its own context and divorce it of sort of what else was going on around at the time this is a lovely game it's a lovely lovely game it's a a great atelier game a great rpg and it's got a fantastic cast of characters um we we talk um a lot about rpgs about how we'd like uh our rpg parties to be a group of goofballs and this i've played through one of the two main stories in this so far and the the ulrika route in this game has has one of the most dysfunctional parties i think i've ever been part of in an rpg and it's wonderful (laughs) so good yeah um but yeah it's it's a delight it's got a fantastic soundtrack um you can really see the alchemy mechanics are developing over the course of the different games so um the the next game after this one is atelier roraner on the ps3 uh which was sort of a big step forward for the alchemy system but you can start to see them experimenting with a few of the things that would become part of the arland series in manakemia 2 so this has been one of the things that i've been most um interested and excited to explore over the course of this mega feature seeing how these mechanics have gradually adapted and changed over the course of all these games because they they were pumping out these games on a yearly basis um but they've made each one feel distinctive and unique in terms of mechanics and presentation and structure and story and characterization um and it's really impressive really impressive what they've achieved with this series over time um i mean with the late release of this one you could argue that uh part of that might have been achieved by sort of deliberately holding themselves back in terms of technology which i think was probably a wise thing to do because it means that they could then focus on the actual mechanical density and complexity of the game rather than having to make it look amazing it does Um, that game is a looker (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's, that's, that's that's what i mean right rather than being sort of like super technically impressive hd uh, photorealistic backgrounds and so on this the manakemia games have such a gorgeous sense of style about them with these lovely detailed sprites and these polygonal backgrounds that are sort of built of um, they're built of blocks but they all the blocks have like lovely details on them and there's like foliage and trees and stuff and it's got a very a very distinctive feel to it all that builds on what atelier iris 3 was doing with 2d backgrounds mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it looks great and it looks lovely in motion and the battle sequences are gorgeous uh with these 
ridiculous special attacks and howling guitar music and that sort of thing. It's just an absolute delight to play. Um, and yeah, so so like I say, I'm I'm sort of technically halfway through the game now. But when you finish one of the two protagonist stories in that game, uh, you can carry over all of your stuff into the other protagonist story. So oh, okay. you don't like a new game you don't, plus. Yeah, basically, um, and and that's really important in this game because of how the progression system works. So, rather than having a straightforward experience level system, you have a mechanic called the grow book uh, in in the Manakemia games, where um, you basically unlock cards um, based on the things that you've crafted, uh, and then those cards each have um, some stat increases or abilities attached to them, which you then spend. Uh, points that you earn through combat on so the 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 core of the progression system is is down to crafting all of these items but because you carry over everything you've crafted in your first playthrough into your second playthrough um from the start of that new game uh you'll have all all most of these cards unlocked aside from the stuff that is unique to the characters on the other side of the story so that will save a huge amount of time for that second playthrough uh because you don't have to sort of spend two hours at the start of every chapter crafting all your new recipes because most of them you'll have already done um that reminds me a bit of the system and do you remember tales of Gilia? yes what, what, like how you would every thing you would achieve in your playthrough would unlock a point system and then oh that's right in, yeah the in titles the next, yeah yeah the next new game plus you would use that currency that you earn through your score in your first playthrough to unlock uh, things to assist you in the new game plus so that's if, right yeah you could like boost your experience rate and item drops and all that sort of thing couldn't you yeah yeah it wasn't like a pure new game plus because they wanted there to still be some level of challenge in the next playthrough so you had to choose like do i want to take all my weapons with me or do i want to take my levels with me and like so it was yeah. it was a boost but it wasn't a, like an unfair like you're going to play the game all your guys are going to be level 50 immediately and you're just going to rip through everything like there, yeah. there was a you yeah. got you got some stuff but you still had to also earn some stuff and i kind of appreciated that take on the formula yeah definitely it, it makes that it makes that second playthrough feel less like you're just sort of going through the motions for the sake of the story doesn't it yeah um and yeah it's a very similar it's a very similar situation in manakemia too because al- although you unlock all of these cards uh you've still got to earn the points in order to actually activate the abilities on these so the characters still start as low level and not very strong and you still have to earn the points through combat um you just don't have to spend as much time crafting items which um yeah, which which is good because although that side of things is fun in Manakemia too, um, you don't necessarily then want to spend another fifty hours crafting the exact same items you did in your pre- previous playthrough. So, sure. um, yeah, so I'm having a, a ton of fun with that. Uh, I need to um, romp through the the second story and the extra story that unlocks once you've done both of the uh, the main protagonist thing. There's like a true ending at the end of that, so it'll probably be a couple more weeks before I'm done with that. Um, aside from that, the only other thing I've been playing is uh, something I probably want to talk about in a bit more detail on another episode, but I'll mention it now because it's it's on my mind, and that is uh, Test Drive Unlimited. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Test Drive Unlimited uh, is an Xbox 360 game from 2006, which is three years before Manakemia 2 came out on PS2. <laughs> um, and it's, um, it's an open-world driving game. Um, that I really liked back in the day, uh, but it, it got a bit of criticism from reviewers for the handling not being very realistic. Uh, but that is precisely why I like it, because um, Test Drive Unlimited is a basically a celebration of obnoxious rich people and car culture. <laughs> um, 
and uh, so uh, but what they've done is they've combined the uh the sort of car collecting aspect of games like gran turismo and uh forza motorsport with a more arcadey handling model so you've got the 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 inherently satisfying thing of building up this massive collection of real cars that you can sort of that you've sort of only drooled over in real life um but they're all drivable rather than sort of having to slow down to 20 miles an hour to go around a corner like you do in gran turismo sure so so you have kind of the best of both worlds thing going on you have a game that sort of accurately simulates the glamorous lifestyle of someone who has more money than sense buying cars and properties around the uh, hawaiian island of oahu and then filling all those garages with various cars and motorbikes and that sort of thing um but then you've got handling that sort of allows you to take corners sideways and um sort of smash through cars without any real consequence aside from the police occasionally coming to chase you and it's it's just a ton of fun it's 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 a really fun game and i i blogged about this for for patrons last night but it's uh, it's a game that i like just playing even if i don't have a real sort of purpose it's it's a game where you can just enjoy the free ride mode and just drive around this loving recreation of oahu in these um beautifully rendered 3d cockpits especially considering this came out in 2006 it's like it it, it still looks good um and it's 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 fun to just to just drive in this game it's 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 uh, there's the incentive to explore around the place and find car dealerships and new events and stuff but it, it's fun to just drive around the island and have fun i can't remember if i've talked about um my uh, i don't know if i want to call it a theory but i'll call it that anyway my theory of summer games uh, no. on this podcast previously in the past but i whenever summer rolls around I have a particular craving to play very specific types of game. Um, not sure what triggers that, but whether it's like the weather or just like the general atmosphere or the kind of lethargy that, that summer kind of uh, gets into people's minds. But uh, whenever summer rolls around and the weather gets warm, I'm always in the mood to play stuff that um, that's, that's, is sort of relaxing and chilled out to play. So stuff that doesn't necessarily have... A particular end goal and isn't especially demanding on you but is is enjoyable to play and engaging enough to um to sort of just just sit back on your sofa and, and enjoy without having to think about too hard so a test drive unlimited very much fits into that category stuff like dead or alive extreme fits into that as well sure. um because that's it, it's just a game that you just play to enjoy it's not trying to say anything it's not trying to do anything particularly mechanically complicated it's just saying well here's 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 a toy box to have some fun with while it's warm just switch your brain off drive some cars look at some pretty girls do that sort of thing so yeah test drive unlimited very much fits into my idea of summer games but i haven't actually revisited it since i originally played it back in like 2006 2007 or so so it's been a real pleasure to come back to this game and and rediscover what i liked about it the first time around and again as we said before sort of divorcing it of the original context and those original reviews that were like the cars don't handle right um you can just appreciate it a lot more you can just you can just enjoy it and have fun with it and um yeah it was originally marketed as sort of quite a multiplayer centric thing because they had this big sort of massively multiplayer thing going on where uh players would appear in your game world and drive around um i don't miss that side of things to be honest uh no, because there's 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 so much there's so much sort of single player stuff in that game that you can enjoy it and 
they even went so far as to when you're playing offline which you don't have an option to play online anymore because the servers got taken down in like 2012 i think um they've got sort of simulated opponents who are driving around the world as well so you can still have the same sort of experience of challenging people who are driving around the island they're just not real people anymore which is you know fine by me (laughs) not fine with real people um that sounds cool i mean i like um like uh, i've never played this obviously because i'm not a huge racing games guy but i do like burnout paradise yeah and it sounds a bit like burnout paradise but with real cars yeah it's 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 a bit like sort of the structure of burnout paradise so without all the overthought the top right. crashing and stuff no, like jumps no like jumps i mean th- there are bits on the island where you can sort of fling your car over the crest of a hill and it, and it will leave the ground but it's not like sort of super exaggerated stunts and crashing through billboards and that sort of thing yeah but you, you can still you can still do some silliness and as far as i'm aware it's the only driving game where you can plunge a uh, a Vauxhall golf into the pacific ocean while listening to ride of the valkyries so um <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah like, like think about burnout paradise and like it's, it's basically the same thing like I like Burnout Paradise, and like half the time when I'm playing Burnout Paradise, I don't even participate in the game, yeah. and I don't yeah. even like I don't even do the extreme shit. Like sometimes I play Burnout Paradise, and I like lock it in at 55, and I just like drive down the shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> like this, you would probably enjoy this then. So I probably, the, I mean, I'm, the, I'm already looking at copies on eBay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there, there is like a specific achievement for discovering every road on the island. So like. Um, as you as you drive around, um, the the roads that you've driven on on your GPS get painted in a in a highlighted color. So there's this really satisfying sort of meta game of just driving around and painting all these roads and sort of seeing what you can discover. And that's that's like a completely unimportant part of the of the the game's sort of overarching structure. But it's it's a satisfying challenge you can do in your own right. And like there's there's a race in this game that is 118 miles long and it takes you around the entire island as well that sort of thing is awesome yeah is the second one any good i haven't played the second one i i I own a copy but i haven't tried it yet um i know the second one was a bit buggy on launch uh, but i think that was mostly down to the pc version and mostly to do with the multiplayer side of things so again that might that might actually be a better experience now the second one is basically more of the same um and in fact, it, it sort of basically doubles the amount of content in that it brings back the island of Oahu that was in the first one, but then there's also the island of Ibiza in there as well. Oh, neat. You can drive around. Um, so, okay. I'm just looking I, like at what's available, and, and, and uh, I don't have... I have a launch Xbox 360. Yeah. So, like, no HDMI. <laughs> so, like, I, I, the original from the looks of it was only available on the 360 or PS2. Um, but the th- yes. second one I can get on my PS3. So like, if I want to yeah. check this out, I think that's probably the route I would take. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this this is quite an early Xbox 360 game. Um, like it's it's so old that uh, here in PAL territories, it has a warning on the front of the box that this will only work on 60 hertz televisions. Oh. <laughs> That's how you can tell an old 360 game for all the people who are still struggling along with 50 hertz CRTs, yeah, like uh, like HDMI. I did when I first got my Xbox. But um, yeah, so it's it's worth checking out, and you can probably find it super cheap these days as well. So 
Um, Xbox 360 games in general are incredibly cheap right now. I wandered down to my local secondhand game store the other day and picked up an armful of games, and it cost me like £15 for 20 games. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, just like this notion that we both have this urge to like pick up all these games that were like super interesting to us back in the day, but not interesting enough that we could justify paying full price that like may or may not have getting like, sh- have gotten like shat on at the time yeah. of their release. Like I know a couple months ago, you and I had a bee in our bonnet about playing um, dark void that like, oh, rocket, yeah, yeah, yeah. like rocket pack focused game with like this, the pulpy sci-fi aesthetic that like Capcom developed. Yeah. I'm also thinking about Dark Sector, which was a really interesting third-person shooter where you had, like, a glaive, like, crawl. Yes. Yeah, and, I, uh, I, I picked up both of those because I couldn't remember which one was which, so I got them both because yeah. they were 50p each. <laughs> yeah, and, like, stuff like that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about um, uh, stuff like on the PS3, um, Lost Planet 2 has an incredible reputation among like yes. game design and mechanics fans, but it was yep. critically panned. So you can get it for like $10 now, but that game mm-hmm. is supposedly supposed to be incredible in terms of like sense of scale and like yep. character upgrading and collecting items meta game. Like it was an example of a game that came out that it wasn't the, the sequel people wanted, so people shot on it. But like now, yeah. but like from in retrospect on its own merits, it's quite an interestingly designed game. So for like the price of admission, the PS, the PS3 and Xbox 360 are like gold mines of like weird shit to play with now for yeah. for very little money. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I've I've just redone the shelves in my living room, and we've deliberately made a lot more space for Xbox 360 games because. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more coming into my collection very soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, COVID, COVID's making it difficult, obviously, but like, I am specifically checking in on my secondhand shops for... Uh, I, I really want the last 360, the 360E, the, the 500 yes. gig. Yeah. I think that's a really pretty, well-designed console. So like, I really want to get my hands on it, because there is a ton for the 360 I want to play right now. Like, I'm thinking yeah. about... Um, like weird exclusive like obviously some of the exclusive rpgs on it are are worth playing lost odyssey and blue dragon Um, i'm also thinking too about uh, magna carta ever play any of the magna carta games magna carta i haven't no i'm i'm vaguely familiar with them but i haven't played them they're korean um which is it's like you know this is something we talk about frequently on this podcast is how much I really like playing games from other regions that aren't typically known for their game development and to see how like the combat sent the combat uh, well combat's part of it but the mechanics uh, and sensibilities of design may differ slightly from like traditional regions like the idea of playing a role-playing game from korea is exciting to me the Mm -hmm. first one which i played on the ps2 i really enjoyed so magna carta 2 is 360 exclusive so i'd love to get a copy of it All, all kinds of stuff like that yeah, there's also stuff like by sort of established developers that um, is, is worth exploring as well. Stuff that doesn't get talked about as much as their big names. So like Bizarre Creations, for example, they're obviously most well known for their Project Gotham series. But uh, I will I will talk anyone's ear off about Blur for one thing. But most people have probably heard of Blur because it kind of builds on what Project Gotham did. But then they've got other stuff that like they've got that James Bond game that they did, oh, Bloodstone. Yeah. Um, which is supposed to be really good. Um, they've got that third-person shooter that they did called The Club as well that I remember being quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and all sorts of stuff like that. There's a lot of sort of lesser-known stuff that um, 
it sort of didn't get the love and appreciation it deserved. Um, there's obviously a whole ton of Warriors games on Xbox 360 yeah. I want to pick up as well at some point. What was that like um, spy RPG that Obsidian did? Oh, wow. Alpha, Alpha Protocol. Protocol. That is fucking amazing. You need to play that game. It's so good. It's so good. It's so broken, but it's so good. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Broken's all right. I'm, I'm just trying to think of like games from that era I always wanted to play, but like never got around to playing. There's yeah, just, so Alpha Protocol so is brilliant. Uh, another one, another sort of underappreciated one that a lot of people bring up that I heartily endorse as well is um, Binary Domain from Sega. Yeah, I have Binary Domain for the PS3. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff on the because P- the PS3 was a gold mine of like weird RPGs and like Japanese games. It just got like pooped out sometimes at a budget price, but also yeah. sometimes not at a budget price. So like nobody bought them. Yeah. So like I'm thinking about stuff like. Uh, trinity souls of zill which i think i sent you a link for and you're like oh yes. yeah i have that yeah. like nobody bought that game uh, like that is <laughs> like why was trinity souls of zill even localized like trinity souls of zill <laughs> is an action game spin-off of a fire emblem style turn-based strategy game the whole series of which was never localized yeah but yeah. they're like we're gonna uh, the existence of that game is totally banks on the notion that I'm a Japanese fan of Zillow Infinite and like I'm going to want to play this to see a new game set in that universe. Like without that connection, there's absolutely no reason to check that Trinity out. But yeah. for some reason, they they translated that and then wondered why it sold like eight copies total. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. <laughs> there was a really cool. Um, like sword fighting action RPG name, which I can't even think of the name of it, but it had like a dude with like red hair on the cover. I can see it clearly, but I can't remember the title. And I think NIS hmm. localized it like the early days of the PS3. Like, yeah, it just it, now is the time. Like, people don't care. For some reason, the PS3 and 360 are caught in the sweet spot where like hardcore collectors don't care yet. But yeah. it's not old enough for the stuff to be worth money. Yeah. PS2 yeah. has started to transition. PS2, Xbox, GameCube have now transitioned into like proper retro territories. Like, yeah. I can't get a copy of Manichemia 2 for less than 55, 60 bucks if I want it. But like, PS3 yeah. and 360, for some reason, like, nobody cares. Yeah. I, I, I think there's, there's, there's still a certain degree of them being regarded as almost current. I mean, yeah. although they they're both like ten years old plus, yeah. Uh, but but there is, there is still a certain proportion of people who consider those to be current consoles, even though they haven't been for quite a while. I mean, like um, our our big GameStop equivalent here, uh, game has I think it's only just stopped stocking uh, PS3 and 360 games, um, and like yeah. So I mean, it was mostly pre-owned stuff that they were doing, but. They they've been sort of clinging on to that um, for quite a while and still been selling pre-owned consoles and that sort of thing. So they they've only just stopped doing that. So I think um, th- there's still a perception that these are sort of uh, consoles that everyone has already that they just want to sort of get rid of the games of in some ways. But uh, yeah, a few years time they will probably become a lot more collectible. So stock up now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Anyway, that went off on a bit of a tangent, but yeah, Test Drive Unlimited is fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but yeah, so um, that is pretty much everything I've been playing to date. Um, I, I've been playing a bit of Demon Souls as well, but I will probably save that for another time. Uh, I did a short play video on that recently as well, so if you want to check out a little bit of uh, of uh, how that all works and my responses to that recently, then uh, have a look at that on there. So for now, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our main topic for today, which is Indie Creates. So we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our main topic today, we wanted to spend some time talking about Inti Creates, uh, who are a favourite developer of both of us. Um, Chris, you've been sort of in contact with them a, a bit longer than I have, I think, because you're more familiar with some of their earlier work. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be count counting on you today to, to educate me about some of their earlier stuff, and then I'm sure we can both talk about some of their more recent releases. Um, yeah, the alternative title the for this episode is going to be How Many Times Can Chris Say Mega Man Within the Scope <laughs> of One Hour? yeah yeah so so i mean my, my primary experience with nt creates is um modern stuff like gal gun blaster master zero as your striker gun vault uh mighty number nine mighty gun vault burst and all of those are things i've previously done a cover game feature about on moe gamers so do check that out if you want to sort of read some stuff as well as listening to us babble on about them um so i mean uh where to start really so what what was your sort of initial contact with the company then yeah well i mean I think we should just for a moment talk historical retrospectives. Yep, sure. So like you can't really talk about Integrates without understanding who Integrates is. Mm -hmm. uh, Integrates was formed um, by 10 members of like Capcom from its glory days. Yes. Um, yeah, this left... was back in like 1996 or so, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, 1996, May 8th, 1996, they were founded, and their first game, Speed Power Gun Bike, uh, came out in 98 for the PS. That's, that's such a good name for a game. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever seen Speed Power Gun Bike? Have you seen like the art oh. for it? Uh, yes, I, I've seen some gameplay as well. It's it's like a bike that transforms into a mecha and a car and stuff. It's awesome and never got localized, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then their second game, which I think you would probably like, was uh, I believe it was called Love and Destroy. Yeah, which, which is like a mecha piloting game with some visual novel elements. Yes. Um. So yeah. They are essentially the company that you want to play games from if you want to play games that feel like late-era PS1, like Super Nintendo Capcom and late-era PS1 Capcom games. They yeah. are quite good at what they do. They have a very specific design sensibility, which is to harken back to kind of a lot of what made that great while being also mechanically uh, innovative. 
Um, so my first exposure to Integrates was most Western people's first exposure to Integrates because it was their first game to get Western published, which was Mega Man Zero for the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Integrates was an independent publisher, but Cap- they still maintained a relationship with Capcom and would develop games to be published by Capcom just from not within Capcom, essentially. Um, so Mega Man Zero is very interesting because... Um, it came out kind of in this era where it was like, all right, let's take a thing and let's uh, cram RPG elements into it. <laughs> yeah. So Mega Man Zero is essentially an, an experiment to make Mega Man what I would call more substantial. Yeah. So um, it has what you would consider typical Mega Man structure. It has multiple stages with bosses with abilities that you steal from the bosses um but it has a hub <laughs> so it feels a bit more like an rpg right because there's a little hub uh rebel base you go to where you can talk to people uh, advance the story um there's also like an equipment system where your your weapons actually level up through use so like you get the lightsaber because you're zero not Mega Man, and um as your lightsaber levels up, you actually get uh, deeper combos you can do. Um, so you become yep. more powerful over time. There's this system with these little little creatures called cyber elves that you collect through play, um, which are sometimes randomly dropped through enemies, sometimes hidden in stages. Um, and then you get currency that you feed to them to like level them up and increase their efficiency. Um, but also, uh, there's a caveat with the Cyber Elves, and this plays into something that uh, Integrates would also become known for, which is a, a real emphasis on heavy skill-based gameplay and performance. So yeah. uh, Mega Man Zero is brutally tough. Uh, the Cyber Elves make it easy by giving you enhanced jumping capabilities, or uh, there's one that acts as a healing item, or there's ones that can freeze time or save you from a pitfall. But every yeah. time you use a Cyber Elf, it it detracts from your score okay. that, that you get at the end of the stage. And you have a running score that's like on the menu screen based on the amalgamation of your performance on all previous stages. And you can only get the best ending if your score is at a specific level when you beat the game. So okay. heavy reliance on the Cyber Elves um, will prevent you from getting the best ending. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, a, a major emphasis on um, uh, your performance and kind of uh, de-emphasizing the use of these crutches that they're giving you. But at the same time, you also can just like treat it like an RPG, use them as items, level them up, and like use the heck out of them, which is what I like to do because I'm terrible at video games. Um, so, <laughs> but it's essentially Mega Man where you can grind if you want. Yeah. Um, and make yourself more powerful if you choose to do that, which is great. Um, hmm. Later ones in the series, uh, there's four Mega Man Zero games. Later ones would feel a bit more, um, even like a Castlevania or Metroid style. They would have like maps and kind of larger, more open environments. Um, so, and uh, these games are also known for kind of really building upon um, a narrative that's kind of dark and tragic, dealing with essentially the aftermath of the original Mega Man X games where um, 
Mega Man himself has become like an oppressive evil figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're like part of a rebellion against him in the first couple games in the series. So just a really interesting story, a beautiful character design, and and um, also um, some of the best damn pixel art you'll ever see, um, which will be a hallmark of this discussion. Um, now, there are a ton of flaws, too, with the Mega Man Zero series, the biggest of which being that it's on the Game Boy Advance. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things it suffers from which hampers its ability to be a really solid action game, especially considering how much it demands from you from a performance perspective, is, um, and many Game Boy Advance suffer, games suffer from this because of the screen aspect ratio and resolution of the Game Boy Advance, it's very cramped. Um, yeah. And your character is a bit big on the screen, and it's really easy for, like, surprise things to come in from off screen and, like, and like smack you through, like, no fault of your own. So it's a bit of a challenge, like, fighting against the limitations of the hardware. But that's not to say that these aren't exemplary games. And you can get all four of them on the Mega Man Zero slash ZX collection that is now available for the Switch and PS4. Yes. Um... And, of course, those were then followed up by Mega Man ZX and ZX Advent for the DS, which essentially was everything that was great about Mega Man Zero 1 through 4 uh, enhanced and made better on the DS. Uh, The screen is less cramped, making them eminently more playable. There's now, like, armor transformations for the characters because you play as these, like, kids that get these uh, Mega Man-inspired, like, armor sets instead of you just being Zero or Mega Man. Um, and they build off the story of the Zero games. It's a continuation. Um, and they are just... It's hard to really describe that they are just top-tier pixel art side-scrollers in a very classic vein with some modern conveniences. Um, they're the best of what they do. Killer yeah. soundtrack, beautiful presentation. Just phenomenal stuff. Um, looking at the list of Intercreate stuff, like a very large portion of their stuff wasn't released in the West too. Like there's, there's a lot of games that they did that were based on like Japanese properties that were popular in Japan, but not super popular in the West. Things like a, they did games based on a crayon Shin-chan, which is a, like a comedy cartoon. That's really popular in Japan, but um, there's some following of it in the West due to some, some versions of it that were localized, um, but not a huge following. So like none of those games came West. Um, they made a Doraemon game. Um, but, I mean, after the Mega Man ZX stuff, this, the next thing that really came out in the West they did would have been Mighty Number... Uh, would have been Mega Man 9, which is yes. probably where modern people know them best from because it was one of the earliest examples of what we like to talk about here, which is, like, the rose-tinted modern retro style. Yes, yeah. Have you? Uh, you're not a huge Mega Man guy, right? So have you? Have you played any of these? I, I've I've briefly played like a demo of I think nine, okay. uh, but I haven't I haven't spent a lot of time with it. But I, I remember the the discussions over this game when it first came out, and um, I had a lot of friends who were very much into Mega Man and were hugely excited by this game and how sort of authentic it felt to uh, their memories of Mega Man. Yeah, I mean that's exactly it. Um, Mega Man 9 and later Mega Man 10 were new 8-bit Mega Man games that were made in 2008 and 2010, respectively. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just one of the earliest examples of this. 
um, phenomenon, which we've come to love now, um, which other games we'll talk about specifically into creates, right? The, the Bloodstained Curse of the Moon games. They're just kind of the best at doing this, making 8-bit yeah. games that feel good and make you think about the old 8-bit things but include modern conveniences and smoothness and, and, and a little bit updated tech in a way that's not obtrusive. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mega Man... 7 was 16-bit, right, on the Super Nintendo. Mega Man 8 was 32-bit on the Saturn and PS1. So, like, Mega Man had been modernized for, for 7 and 8, but Mega Man 9 on the modern consoles, the Wii, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3, they just decided, that, well, hey, guys, let's make them uh, 8-bit again. And it just it's yeah. just authentic 8-bit Mega Man. Um, and they would later add stuff like different playable characters, uh, Zero and, I'm not Zero, Proto Man and Base become playable with slightly different mechanics. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just it's just 8-bit Mega Man with a little bit of modern flair and uh, they're wonderful. And you can now own them physically if you buy the Mega Man Legacy Collection, uh, Volume 2 has them both available to have physically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it made a lot of sense for them to go back 8-bit for those ones because although, as you say, Mega Man had been modernized, I think the fact that it had so many installments on the NES in the first place means that even now people tend to just associate that series with being an 8-bit series. Sure. So I think I, I, I think sort of the, the attempt to capture the nostalgia, sort of the most potent way that they were going to be able to do that was to was to take that original NES aesthetic and I, yeah I think that was a really smart choice on their point because that was that was a big reason why those games appeal to a lot of people I knew because they they, they well I say they felt like new Mega Man games they were new Mega Man games sure uh, for for the for that felt like and looked like and sounded like the games that they grown up with so yeah that was a really really good use of nostalgia yeah, and this, this and sort this of was, informed design. Yeah, it was smart on Capcom's part too, because it was just like, listen, you guys are all the guys who made Mega Man great originally. You guys have been killing it with these subcontracted Zero and ZX games you've been making that we've been publishing. We're just okay, guys. Just make the new Mega Man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so they did that, and it was great. And um, I don't know, uh, did you play uh, Mega Man Eleven? Came out recently. And uh, Integrate didn't make it, and I didn't really love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked it fine, but I, I didn't feel about it the same way I did, uh, like nine, ten, and the ZX and uh, X and Zero games. It just something didn't feel right about it. So I don't know. There's just something about the way Integrate makes Mega Man, the way an Integrate Mega Man game handles and plays. It feels right and authentic, and that's mainly because it's yeah. mostly people who worked on the original ones <laughs> yeah that makes sense that makes sense all right cool well if we're going chronologically um as you say there's a, there's a bunch more um sort of licensed stuff a lot of the, a lot of which i don't think came over here there's a, a like a naruto game and uh, some other stuff and some more crayon shinchan they did a lot of crayon shinchan over the years yeah they really they? did um they also did the the 3ds version of pac-man and the ghostly adventures which i never knew um huh. Yeah, it's exciting. They did a Power so, Rangers I mean, game too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the 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 next game uh, chronologically that I I came into contact with them would have been Galgun Double Piece, which originally came out in 2015 uh, for PlayStation 4 and Vita, and then subsequently Windows as well. So this 
I don't think this was my first ever contact with them because I, I was sort of I was sort of familiar with the Mega Man Zero and ZX games, but didn't actually play them. Um, but I guess, I guess Galgan Double Piece must have been the first Integrates game that I really kind of engaged with fully. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is another one I've written about extensively on Moe Gamer. But the the interesting thing about this game is that it's it's very kind of experimental in terms of structure. Um, so if you if you've not come across this before, Galgun Double Piece is is the sequel to a game that didn't get localized, just called Galgun. Um, and the idea is that it's um, it's riffing on the idea of uh, sort of classic light gun rail shooters, um, but what it's done is it's made it non-violent and it's made it uh, it's crossed it over with a dating sim as well. And so uh, Galgun Double Piece is structured very much like a visual novel in that there's different sort of narrative routes you can take through the game. Uh, but in between the storytelling sequences, you have these sequences where you, you're, you're wandering through various environments and, and you're, um, you're shooting characters. Um, but like, like I say, it's non-violent. So you're, you're shooting girls who have become uh, overly sexually attracted to you thanks to the input of a angel's arrow that was accidentally shot into your ass that was 30 times more powerful than it was supposed to be it was just supposed to help you find a girlfriend but instead it's helping you find all of the girlfriends uh which is a little bit too much for you to handle so you have to fend them off using your uh your um euphoria pheromone shot uh and send them into fits of quasi-orgasmic ecstasy in order to get them off your back for a few minutes uh and then surrounding all that nonsense there's like various different plots surrounding the actual main characters in the game there's uh there's a demon hunter girl um there's the uh the angel who sort of caused this whole mess in the first place uh there's the demon hunter girl's sister and then there's the devil who's uh causing a lot of trouble around the school as well so there's all these different narrative paths to follow based on a combination of the choices that you make in the game um, and your dating themselves stats that you can manipulate over the course of the game as well. So um, you, between levels, you can collect items and uh, or purchase items that will allow you to uh, change your stats in various areas. And there's also a mode in the game called uh, Doki Doki mode, which is basically like a smart bomb. But in order to trigger that, what you do is you draw girls into your Doki Doki field and then you uh, basically poke and prod them in various places until they experience <laughs> double peace, uh, which is again basically quasi-orgasmic ecstasy uh accompanied by peace signs um and uh, yeah that causes them to explode in a shower of love and take out everything nearby but it also affects your stats in the process as well so every girl in the game has their own unique effect on your stats so there's this incredibly complicated metagame in here about manipulating your stats in order to get with the girl that you're particularly interested in sort of the the final thing you unlock in the game is a mode called true love mode um where you you basically can date any of the characters in the game uh but in order to do that you have to have the right stats in order to make sure that they're interested in you and once you get to that point in the game there's there's just such a surprising surprising amount of mechanical depth to this game that it doesn't necessarily make itself immediately apparent when you first start playing it just seems to be this sort of ridiculous candy colored comedy comedy anime style thing where you're just shooting girls until they screech in pleasure at you but um no this this there, there is a lot to this game um and i was delighted to explore and discover it when i first came across this and i spent a lot of time with it it's kind of um, it creates in a nutshell right they make these games that are candy colored and like beautifully aesthetic from like a cartoon perspective but then they just pack them with like proper mechanical depth 
which is yeah. in like a way that like belies. Like I know, like I've been saying, like just Mega Man, it's just Mega Man, but like there's a specific mechanical excellence to proper Mega Man that can't be yeah. emulated. It's like yeah, and I mean, like like you say, um, Mega Man Eleven missed out on that because evidently the people who developed it didn't sort of quite understand that mechanical depth and the the specific things that integrates did with their take on Mega Man over the years. So yeah. Yeah, they, they they are sort of real masters of of game design. Sort of the the whole sort of um, easy to learn, hard to master type thing. I yeah, guess is yeah. is a good way of looking at it. And that's something we'll talk about too once we get to the, the the Gunvolt games, because that's a very core part of the design sensibility of the Gunvolt games. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, well, I guess now is as good a time as any to bring those up because the the first Gunvolt uh, first came out in 2014. My first contact with it was a little bit later. It was it was when the uh, the switch port came out but yeah, um, yeah the first azure striker gun vault came out in 2014 on 3ds and then got a pc release in 2015 so um these games um would you say they're they're inspired by their work on Mega Man in terms of in terms of structure and mechanics i mean you you know more about sort of the comparisons between them obviously there's a there's an aesthetic resemblance between them but yeah. in terms of mechanics and structure is is it pretty similar would you say uh i would <sighs> Yes and no. I mean, there's obviously like Mega Man Ness to to, to Gunvolt, yes. right? Like you're a blue man, and you, <laughs> and you make your way through challenging stages which are themed, and then you fight a themed boss, and then you you take abilities from that themed boss, and you move along. Um, but yeah. the big difference between the design sensibility of classic Mega Man and what the Gunvolt games tries to do is something that could have only been done by an independent developer, right? So uh, the Gunvolt games are published by Intercreates as well as developed by them. So they're highly yep. experimental in their mechanics. And what, yep. and something that is important to discuss about Gunvolt is it's kind of a, the design theory that I discussed about, that I discussed earlier with... Um, Mega Man Zero, where you can make it as easy or as hard on yourself as you want with a focus on skill, like extrapolated yes. to the nth degree. So, like, what's, mm-hmm. uh, this is something I think a lot of people, when they discussed the Gunvolt games when they originally came up, couldn't really wrap their heads around, is the notion that Gunvolt's games are essentially designed in such a way as to be performative. Now, so what yes. I mean by performative is um, think about the design of Devil May Cry. Mm-hmm. Devil yeah. May Cry is not for well three is but like for the most part Devil May Cry was never a particularly hard game but the focus on Devil May Cry was performance how can you vary your combos and demonstrate your mastery of the gameplay mechanics different attacks patterns and timing in order to achieve high ranks and really show your skill and mastery of those systems um, the Gunvolt games are an effort to take that kind of design and apply it to a Mega Man-style side-scroller. So, in the Gunvolt games, and, and you can chime in on this, because you've actually engaged with them even more heavily than I have, um, yeah. you're essentially invincible, as long as you don't get hammered too much at once. Like, you, yes. you, you can take hits... And you you phase through them using like whatever like special power you have, and you have to get hit a lot and like deplete this like shield meter before your life points even get touched. So yes. like, now that's something you can turn off if you choose to, um, and that's all part of the game. 
Um, so the notion of Gunvolt is to use the unique combat and do- dodging and ducking and weaving to achieve good scores at the end of the stages. So the challenge in Gunvolt isn't necessarily will I live or die making it through the stage. It's pretty easy to be terrible and still make it through a Gunvolt stage. Yes. But the score you get based on how much you got hit, how you used your abilities, how long you took, how many times you died, that all influences your score. So the emphasis here is is more of a score chase than it is uh, a survival uh, mentality. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I mean, we, we haven't mentioned how Gunvolt plays for those who aren't familiar, but basically the... Uh, the core mechanical thing in Gunvolt is that rather than shooting enemies to defeat them directly, what you do is you shoot them to lock onto them, and you can lock onto a bunch of enemies depending on what gun you've got equipped. And uh, once you're locked onto enemies, you can then shoot these homing bolts of lightning out of Gunvolt, uh, and they will hit and damage the enemies for as long as you've got energy remaining. Um, so, so yeah, again, as, as you say, there's. Uh, you can sort of muddle your way through the levels using this system because you don't have to be especially accurate in order to kill things in Gun Vault. But in order to get those good scores and the big multipliers and that sort of thing, you need to do things like lock onto a bunch of enemies at the same time and defeat them all together or defeat them in a particular order or all that sort of thing as well. So um, the other thing with Gun Vault is there's a very in-depth sort of equipment and crafting system as well based on things that you collect throughout the level. So there's quite a strong focus on replaying missions to gather various items uh, and craft pieces of equipment for gun vault and rather than the equipment adjusting gun vault stats what they what they all tend to do is they adjust the game the way the game plays quite significantly in some places so for example, making it an entirely different game occasionally yeah, exactly, occasionally. exactly. so so there's, there's there's a gun, for example, that completely removes this whole homing lightning thing and turns it into a Mega Man game, basically. Um, equally, there's like a ring you can put on that kind of uh, nullifies the whole invincibility thing we just talked about, but rockets your score up into astronomical proportions. So you can't get hit because you'll die immediately, but you can get massively higher scores by doing that. So it's all about sort of managing these different things that you collect and putting the right combination of equipment on to deal with various different circumstances in the game and um, and figure out the best way you want to play and also how to prove yourself to the game in certain ways as well. So it's, it's a very flexible, deep and complex game if you want it to be. But equally, if you just want to play through and you just want to see how the story ends and that sort of thing, you can just kind of rattle your way through without any real sort of uh, too much difficulty. Yeah. It's a series for people who love thinking about side-scroller mechanics. What are different ways we can make a side-scroller is essentially what this series is about. Like, what does what does a Mega Man style game mean to you, and how can we subvert those expectations and make you recontextualize what combat in a side scroller looks and feels like? Yeah, 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 uh, and 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 so the, th- the thing with Gunvolt is sort of figuring out these various mechanics that the equipment provides for you, and then applying the use of those in various different circumstances. So, um. The design of the stages and the boss fights in particular in Gunvolt is heavily, heavily sort of old school pattern based and sort of looking at animation cues and all that sort of thing. So what you might find is that a boss you 
are having a bit of difficulty with uh you can sort of change up your strategy in terms of what equipment you've got on there and it will it will very much affect how that encounter unfolds because although the boss is doing the same things if you equip yourself with a particular ability that makes it easier to say dodge some of their attacks or uh, getting some attacks during a particular opening then yeah it, it, it's it's all about experimenting with these mechanics understanding the best ways to play and all that kind of thing so yeah it's it's a game that could easily be very daunting um but i think they did a pretty good job of making it feel accessible absolutely because because this this was really sort of i guess this was probably the the, the first game of this kind that i'd really played sort of thinking of like a a 2d side scroller that w- that isn't an open structure exploration based one but is instead very focused on its combat mechanics and progression mechanics and uh skill-based gameplay that was it was probably the first game of that type that i really engaged with so i could have easily been very quickly put off this game but they they make it accessible enough um that it, it really eases you in and as you explore the game further it really encourages you to try out different things and see what works for you yeah that's the difference between this game and something like say a dark souls which is also like a heavily mechanics based game is it's hard to fail at gunfold like yeah. it's really hard to fail at gunvolt if anything it's easier than a traditional mega man game it puts the it puts the onus of challenging the game doesn't challenge you it requests that you challenge yourself so yes. like it, it allows you to muddle your way through it to be practically invincible to see all the cool stuff but then gradually by allowing you to unlock these different items it says to you hey you had fun doing that why don't you try this and see how it might be different so like it openly encourages a lot of exploration and in that uh finding joy in challenge um for the sake of challenging yourself it doesn't present brick walls it presents opportunities so it's a very open it's a very open and welcoming structure to the way it's put together yeah yeah definitely definitely and uh the then the spin-off game Gunvolt Chronicles Luminous Avenger X is the same way. Um, that's a that's a semi sequel to Gunvolt uh, Azure Striker Gunvolt One and Two, where you play as mm-hmm. uh, Gunvolt's rival Copen Copen Copen. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. But his whole deal is uh, his mechanics are very similar, uh, but he has a dash mechanic. So whereas Gunvolt can shoot enemies to tag them, then home on his lightning. Um, uh, Copen has to make physical contact with the enemies in order to tag them, then back off, then fire his homing shots. But yeah. the difference with Copen is that um, the tags he uses to lock on to those enemies are also the uh, currency in his shield gauge. So the more enemies you lock onto at a given time, the more open you are to being hit. So you're constantly playing a balancing act between do I tag three enemies or four enemies or however much ammo you have in this meter at once, making myself completely open to being hit and harmed, or do you play it safe and tag enemies one at a time and take them out? One, yeah. one method is riskier and will see you getting a better completion time for the level one is more conservative and will see you survive much easier but get a much lower score so it's all about how you want to challenge yourself and how you want to approach your gameplay mm-hmm. it's neat <laughs> and it's beautiful yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I haven't played the um 
uh, whatever the latest one's called yet. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's good to know that it builds on because Copeland was a playable character in Gun Vault Two as well, yeah, uh, and used a lot of those mechanics like the air dash and and locking onto things and um, using bullets with special abilities attached to them yeah. uh, and that sort of thing. And he actually does absorb abilities from bosses that um, that he beats uh, in in a bit more of a sort of Mega Man style. So you can then equip those abilities and use them. Uh, against subsequent foes as well so uh for those looking for a, a slightly more Mega Man-esque experience um yeah Copen's gameplay is a bit more like that but it's still got its own unique twists and wrinkles on that as well so which is also I think too a good opportunity to talk about Mighty Number no. 9 yes. Which, yes which also had some interesting mechanical wrinkles that I think is part of the reason why people were so disappointed with it because it wasn't mm-hmm. a traditional Mega Man game um yeah uh Integrate seems to have this obsession with the notion that like simply shooting an enemy isn't enough. You yes. have to like you have to like <laughs> you have to tag them and like and then perform another task to like wipe them out entirely. So like Mighty Number no. Nine did a similar thing where um God, what's the main character of Mighty Number no. 9's name? Beck. Yeah. Uh, so like Beck can't you like Beck shoots like Mega Man style, like a buster on his arm, but he doesn't uh, his shots do not kill enemies. It merely stuns the enemies. Then you have to dash through them to, like, dissipate them. So, like, once again, like, in the same way we talked about Gunvolt, you can just shoot enemies one by one and dash through them, but the real emphasis is to compete for score. And the way you achieve higher scores is to tag multiple enemies at once and then dash through them in sequence. So, like, the more yeah. enemies you have tagged, um, and paralyzed and in dash at once you'll get a better re- performance rating so it's, yeah. it's all in how you want to handle that um, it puts the onus on you to challenge yourself mm-hmm. yeah and it, it, i mean it's it, it's also a way of sort of clearing the game more efficiently like the the the, the, the boss fights are all heavily based on this dash mechanic as well so mm-hmm. it's it, it places even more strong emphasis on finding openings to put in attacks than like your conventional Mega Man side of things so I, I really liked Mighty Number no. 9 oh, when I played it. I think it's a great game yeah yeah it's it's just a shame that it's it's lumbered with the the reputation that its Kickstarter left it with, and now so many people are so unwilling to engage with it on its own terms now that it's it's a real shame because it's a really interesting game with oh. lots of lots of cool mechanics, some challenging levels, and some. Uh, some cool abilities, some interesting level design, some great boss design. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's Integrate. It's doing what they do well. Yeah, it's, po- well, it's poster child of what we're always saying. If you take it out of the context of the the news cycle and the uproar and the community discussions, and you just engage with it on its own terms, it's full of interesting ideas. Like, eh, abandon your expectations and just play it. It's it's quite good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, um, at this point, we can we can sort of uh, talk a little bit about Mighty Gun Vault Burst um, and Mighty Gun Vault, which were sort of spin-offs of both of those um, series that we've talked about there. So, I haven't played the original Mighty Gun Vault, but that was more a sort of proof of concept game, whereas Mighty yeah. Gun Vault Burst was very much expanded into a, a full game. And I'm that on the other side to- of that. It's like, you've played Burst, I've not played Burst. I've only played the original because I received it for free uh, as a Mighty Number no. 9 right. backer. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter bonus, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that, that they subsequently released separately. Um yeah, so, um, so I mean, tell me a bit about the original Mighty Gun Vault first, then, because I, I haven't played it at all, so I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it's just like 
cute and little, and it's just a, it's an 8-bit kind of, I would describe it as like a pocket game, right? Like, yeah. you can play through it in like 10 minutes. Like, the levels are mm-hmm. short. It's more just kind of challenge-based and challenge yourself to get good times and good scores. But it's, it's, it's a Mega Man-style game where you can play as either Beck or um, Gunvolt and like cute versions of them. And I think one of the kids from... Uh, one of the kids from Galgun as well. Uh, one of the girls. Yes, like, I think you'd be Echo, can't you? I yeah. Think. So, and each has has slightly different mechanics that changes the cadence of the game. And you just kind of play through this eight bit version of kind of Gunvolt's world with the similar bosses and stuff, and challenge yourself to do kind of subsequent playthroughs and do better. Try to do perfect runs. Try to get good scores. It's not a huge thing because it was a, it was a treat that was given away for free. It was just like a little bonus snack yeah. <laughs> of a game. Yeah. So basically, what they did with Mighty Gunvolt Burst was take the ideas you've just described there and then expand it into a much more substantial game. Um, so uh, they also sort of took a slightly different approach in that uh, while Mighty Gunvolt kind of reimagined Gunvolt levels in this sort of eight-bit style, what Mighty Gunvolt Burst did was it took the Mighty Number no. Nine levels and reimagined them in this. So again, it provided a, a bit of a twist for um, those people who had played that previous version. So what you've got here is um, you've got Beck and Gunvolt uh, as playable characters. You've also got Echo from Galgun again. Um, and then the original digital release had various DLC characters, including uh, Kurana, who is the devil from Galgun. Um, Call, who is the, the female robot from Mighty Number no. 9. Um, you've got Jewel and Lumen from Gunvolt, which is the sort of main female character on there. Uh, the DLC character from Mighty Number no. 9, Ray, and Copen from um, Azure Striker Gunvolt 2 as well. So I believe, if I remember correctly, um, there is a limited run release of this coming yes. soon, isn't there? Yeah, it was just that, recently That announced. bundles all that together. Um, so if you haven't played this yet, it might be worth waiting for that because you can get... A, everything all together in one package um now what you have in mighty gunvolt burst is you have uh sort of old school Mega Man style levels in that they're they're uh, you progress through them in a linear fashion um but again it's built quite heavily for replay value uh, in that there's like collectible items around each level you have an upgrade system that's that's very similar to what you talked about with the cyber elves thing in that um they can make your life significantly easier but the more of them you use the lower score you'll get um so there's there's it's been a while since i played it but if i remember correctly it's like a almost like a sort of multiplier style mechanic where the fewer upgrades you apply to gunvolt before you start a level the higher the score you'll get um and so again you can you can get through the game making use of all these upgrades relatively easily um, but the real challenge in the long term is supposed to be trying to take off each of these training wheels one by one and eventually be able to tackle through the whole game using just the base performance of the characters. Um, and each of those characters I describe handles very differently as well. And it's all based on their mechanics from the original games where applicable. And in terms of um, the, the characters from a very different type of game, like the characters from Galgun, um, they incorporate their own unique things along the way as well. So, for example um echo 
can fly for example because she's an angel uh, so that makes some of the platforming sequences handle very differently uh Kurana, if i remember quick uh, correctly is a lot faster than all of the other characters but her health bar is about a quarter of the size so you have to play her very very carefully um and so yeah there's a lot of variation um between how the different characters play how they respond to the different upgrades how the different levels work with each of them so there's a relatively small number of levels in there um but that means that you can learn them a lot more easily with one of the characters and then try and apply the mechanics from the different characters to try and make it through with all of them so again it's a game that's very much about um encouraging you to challenge yourself rather than necessarily be being challenged by the game structure itself it's a game that you can finish in probably a couple of hours but if you want to go back and sort of play it with all of those other characters it can then keep you busy for a very long time indeed if you want it to I love it. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to the limited run release, and I have not played it yet, mainly because I recognized how much DLC was happening with it with the special yeah. release, and I was like, I had seen at that point that, um, you know, it was when that game first came out, it was just at like the cusp of when this whole like limited press release thing was happening, and I was like, I'm gonna, yes. I'm yeah. gonna hold out, I'm gonna see what happens, and then the the striker pack for azure striker gunvolt came out that same year for the yep. for the switch um and the, and the 3ds so i was like okay Intercretes is starting to partner with publisher with physical publishers now so i, I just kind of said i would wait and i did yeah so now i'm going to get that for sure same with uh blaster master zero you know i, yes. I waited on those because i saw how much dlc they were getting and now uh now they're coming out physically for limited yeah time yeah that's good that's good so blaster master zero so, so have you not played this one at all yet? i have not played any blaster masters here i'm an old school blaster master fan like i love the mm -hmm. original but uh i have not played the intercretes versions i just oh, am, yeah. am aware of how beautiful they are yes. <laughs> but, but i have not played yes. them yet. yeah I, i've only played the first blaster master zero but i i think that was the first game i played on my switch if i remember correctly because I, I i got my switch and i got a copy of i got a copy of cave story physically and then i also knew that i wanted to play blaster master zero so i think that was the first game i downloaded on my switch that was a very early switch um, game that was one of the first, yes, yeah, one of the first yeah. e shop games yeah definitely um but it's great it's 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 very much a reimagining of the original blaster master to such a degree that like i, I believe uh most of the maps are pretty much identical to yeah. the nes original um but what they've done is they've they've added uh, they've sort of tightened up the mechanics in a lot of places cleared up a lot of the sort of nes um uh, uh, sort of technical issues like this is a great example of what we talk about as enhanced retro so sure. it looks like an nes game but then it's also got stuff like parallax scrolling that the nes wouldn't have been capable of it gets rid of stuff like sprite flicker it has a lot more stuff going on on screen it has a lot more in the way of story and text along the way although a lot of it's optional as well so if you're not interested in that side of things you can skip it completely uh, which is nice for those who, for those who grew up with sort of the mechanic centric version of this game um there's some impressive boss fights there's, there's sort of lots of weapons to collect um and then they they added this whole new section to the end of the game as well there's like a true ending sequence based on uh, on what you do elsewhere in the game that can take you to this final stage where it kind of shifts out of the nes aesthetic into more sort of pc engine style aesthetic um where it, it sort of adds some more complex backgrounds and and more colors on screen and more detailed enemies and so on and 
when I when I first heard about this, I thought it would be really jarring, but it it, it works brilliantly. Um, it's it, it it's just like a real feeling that you're sort of being rewarded for your hard work getting through the rest of the game, and you have this really impressive finale to work through. Then, and it's it's a really satisfying game that I I very much enjoyed. Um, Blaster Master, as someone who didn't own an NES back in the day, it's not a game I was particularly familiar with. So, um, sort of experiencing experiencing it for the first time in this way was was a real pleasure a real pleasure um and interestingly um if you know your blaster master history as well uh, there's a lot of sort of homages to that in blaster master zero um mm-hmm. so i'll I, I talked a bit about this in, in my feature that i did there so blaster master has its roots as a famicom game called um cho wakase senki metafight um which uh is it, it talks about the story of the planet of sophia 3 uh which is under attack by the forces of the invam dark star cluster led by the evil goez um so a blonde-haired woman named dr jennifer cornett developed a mobile battle tank known as the metal attacker or nora and enlisted the young prodigy kane gardner to pilot it um so the story for blaster master was completely different uh, if yeah. you're familiar with the nes version <laughs> yeah. it was it has this stupid story <laughs> about a kid who had a frog named fred which caught radiation or something and that made a big hole in his garden and he fell into it and fell into a battle tank called sophia 3 uh, and so on um but yeah what they've done in blaster master zero is they've taken that original concept and sort of made it a little bit more plausible um in that um it's it's now set in sort of a post-apocalyptic world where the main character jason is researching sort of old earth and he found he found his frog as like a surviving remnant of this old planet and so on and it, it kind of builds on there but um there's things like uh some of the characters in blaster master zero are obvious homages to the original meta fight so for example this this new character that they introduced called eve who is this blonde-haired android she's very much an homage to um dr jennifer cornett from metafight you can see on metafight's cover art she's this sort of blonde haired uh, 90s anime woman um and uh there's a scene in which she's described as being created by dr jennifer gardner which is a combination of dr jennifer cornett and the protagonist kane gardner's names uh, and so on like that so there's tons of tons of interesting little fan service elements in blaster master zero that shows a kind of profound respect for what they're building on uh but then also making it its own thing as well so yeah it's it's a fantastic game that is well worth playing and uh, as uh, as we said there was uh, there was a limited press version of this went up for pre-order a while back i, I believe the pre-order is closed for that now um yeah. so unfortunately you have missed out on that if you haven't jumped on there but it is still available on various digital storefronts as well so it's well worth playing um uh, ps4 now too it was originally a switch only thing but now you can get it on the that's PS4. right yes Yes. same with gunvolt uh, too gunvolt is now available on the ps4 yes yeah um and again there was a bunch of dlc with this as well so they brought in uh characters from other places so say galgun from echo uh, sorry echo from galgun again putting an appearance as a dlc character uh there were some of the gunvolt characters in there um and perhaps most notably they brought in shante as well yeah. as, as a playable dlc character and she's a lot of fun just because she plays completely differently to the uh, the kind of range combat centric characters shante is very melee based so in the top down action sequences they play very differently um as shante to to how they do as as jason or any of the other dlc characters so 
yeah it's it, it's it's another great example of inti creates at work they're making a game that is easy to understand but has a lot of depth to it it has a lot of replay value there's a lot of mechanical interest and yeah it's 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 great it's it's just a fine example of what they do best also too it's a good opportunity to mention the friendly relationship between way forward and into creates yes and how like um for Shantae and the Pirate's Curse and Half Genie Hero, Integrates actually contributed to the, the like static character art for the dialogue sequences. Yes. So they they yes. they're, they're they're buddies, and then Half Genie Hero had a DLC where you could get a uh, Sophia tank transformation for Shantae. They <laughs> crossed over. That's awesome. Yeah. Good times. What else is there to talk about with these guys? Uh, apparently, uh, Gunvolt uh, 3 has been announced at this point. Yes. We don't know anything yes. about that. Uh, but that, yes. that really just leaves uh, Dragon marked for death. And it's, there's Bloodstained as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood. I feel like we've paid so much lip service to Curse of the Moon on, the, on this podcast. <laughs> we talk about it constantly. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is, it is a fantastic game. Oh, absolutely. yeah. But yes, yes, I think you're probably right. We probably have talked that one to death so far. So let's move on to uh, to Dragon Mark for Death, because you, you, you found some interesting um, stuff about this recently, didn't you, about sort of the, the history of it and yes. how it came to be. Yeah, so interestingly enough, Dragon Mark for Death, which is uh, kind of one of the later uh, latest games from Intercrete, which is in its own way an, an original game. Um, a lot of their games are kind of... Uh, I don't want to say unoriginal, but many of their games are linked to kind of the legacy of something else, right? Like, usually yeah. inspired by Mega Man or, or something of that nature. Uh, Dragon Marked for Death is very much a, a totally original concept, um, wherein it's in a medieval setting and it's... Um, focus on online multiplayer uh, and RPG elements. So collecting, leveling up, collecting items, upgrading your items. Um, and there was a recent interview on the PlayStation blog uh, to celebrate the, the impending PS4 release of it that it's actually been in concept since 2006. So I, yeah. I, I had no idea that this game had actually conceptually been in development and Intercrease for such a long time. And there's actually... Um, as part of this interview, uh, images of design documents uh, and uh, screenshots harkening back to its origins, potentially as a PSP title. So this is something they've been yeah. working on for quite a long time. I was really surprised to see that. Development originally halted in 2010, and, that, and the PSP version was never, never released or brought to completion. Oh, also PS3, apparently. It was intended to be multi-platform. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just just super interesting that um, I love it when this happens, right? When something that's been in the development cooker for so long is finally able to to become something that's tangible. It's a yeah. really really interesting game. Uh, yeah, and and so for, from the look of things, uh, Dragon Mark for Death was only be able to only able to sort of be brought back from the dead, as it were, thanks to the success of stuff like Gunvolt. Sure. Um, so they, because they basically needed to start over and develop it for modern platforms and revamp the way they were thinking of it and so on, um, 
yeah they, they they needed to uh to handle it themselves rather than rely on on uh, publishers so i believe they were they were originally working with marvelous uh for the for the psp version but they they managed to convince them to sort of hand over um all the all the sort of rights relating to it and and start start back up and developing it from scratch as their own independent project um so yeah um it 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 sounds like it's gone through a lot of iterations over the years and i know when it first came out um we kind of bounced off it a little bit for various reasons it it, it is something i'm keen to revisit at some point because there's there's a lot of interesting things going on there um they've added there's a two lot of more characters since we last played it yeah absolutely and i think that the the challenge with dragon mark for death is that um well again i i don't know if it, i don't know if i want to apply this to all of it because there's there's so many different ways to play it but there's certain characters in that game have a very high expectation of player skill and dexterity and agility and so on like i'm thinking of the um was it the witch character i was playing yeah um when we started so so the the way the witch character works in this is that you have to you press the face buttons on your controller to conjure up various elemental runes and the order in which you do that determines the spells that you cast and so being able to play as the as the as the witch in that game you can't just hammer an attack button because you don't have an attack button you have to be able to put in these button combinations repeatedly and quickly and that sort of thing and it's it's really satisfying when you get it right, but it's it's exhausting when you first start playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 the thing to understand about Dragon Mark for Death, and this is one of the reasons I bounce off it, is um, some games are multiplayer games. And yeah. some games are multiplayer games in the sense that, like, we've made a game, it's also multiplayer. You can play yeah. it multiplayer. It's got multiplayer modes. Um Dragon Mark for Death is designed in such a way that the multiplayer aspects of it are baked into every design element of the game. So many of the characters, there's maybe like one character or two characters who are viable solo. Yeah. Like that witch character you've designed is not viable solo. I can't imagine that yeah. her, the later boss battles playing her solo. Now, where, yeah. where she shines, like, I main, I specifically mained the knight because I knew you were maining the witch, right? If you play the witch, I, I as the knight, a warrior, can generate a shield that regens health. So if you're, yeah. you can prep your spells behind my shield, regen your health. Like, the characters are designed in such a way that their abilities interlock, and many of them are useless on their own. Yeah. So it, playing Dragon Mark for Death single player is a very difficult proposition. Yeah. And since that said, that said, since we've played it, they 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 are like now on version like three point nine or whatever, or four point or whatever. Um, so there have been some significant changes to the game since we last played it. I think so. Yes. I'm, I'm actually I'm very interested to return to it and see what an impact that's had on both the single player experience and and multiplayer as well and as you say there's new characters been introduced and all sorts so yeah yeah it's it's an interesting i don't i still don't know if it's for me just mainly because i don't love multiplayer but it, yeah. it is into creates right it's mechanically rich it's it's visually stunning the pixel art is among the best you will ever see in your life yeah oh yeah um, it's beautiful it's it's just it's worth checking out because it's so different but yeah it's 
another example of what we've been talking about in terms of their entire approach to development and that it, it's taken extremely classic um, mechanics and ideas and, and modernized them and innovated it uniquely. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's wholly theirs. Like you, there's no way you can see it or play it and not know it's an Intercreates game if you haven't, <laughs> you know, if you yeah. haven't played their, if you've played their other stuff. Yeah, it's just, definitely. you know, they, they remain one of the few developers out there where like, I will just squeal like a, like a freaking guinea pig whenever it, even like any inkling of them working on something new happens. You know, I always, I just, I always want to know what they're up to. I always want to know what's coming from them, and even when they do do something that's not necessarily for me, stuff like Dragon Marked for Death or the Galgun games, they're made so so well that I still respect and have tremendous interest in them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and one thing I want to highlight, I think as well, is is something that came up when I was putting together my Integrates feature back on Moe Gamer, um, which is that. Um, as time has gone on, Indie Creators has very much embraced the idea of being a global developer. Yes. So rather than being rather than being a Japanese developer who just happens to get stuff localized, they have they have very really embraced this idea of we're going to make these games and everyone's going to enjoy them. And a huge part of that is um, uh, the, the people who work on their localization team in there as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there's uh, a guy called Matt Papa who works for them. He was good enough to to provide an interview for me when I was I was covering Integrates, and he had some really interesting and insightful comments to make on the whole situation. So um, what he said when I spoke to him, he joined in September 2014, and he was the first Westerner that the company had ever hired, um, and uh, they brought him on board specifically to act as a sort of liaison between what they traditionally done in the Japanese market and and the worldwide thing. So, um, Matt Papa was 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 very much focused on um, looking at what people were talking about on social media and the games that people were interested in um, seeing coming to the West that hadn't done before. Uh, like he was the reason that we have Galgan in the West at all. Mm-hmm. Like he he really he really championed that game and said, right, we've got to bring this game to the West because there there is an audience of people who want to see this. It might be a fairly small audience, but it's still an audience of people who want to see this game. They're willing to spend money on it. They're willing to engage with it. They're willing to help make it a success. And there's no reason why we shouldn't cater to that audience because it's it, it just makes good business sense to do that. Um. And so, yeah, that 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 is a really important part of uh, of Integrate's background and their current situation, um, because they because they are constantly designing these games not just for a Japanese audience but for a worldwide audience. It's yeah, it's really to their benefit. Yeah, yeah, and and just Matt Papa's engagement on social media is, is just really heartwarming and, and pleasant. It's clear. Yeah. It's clear how yeah, much he's, they respect and care about the people who respect and care about their products. Yeah, exactly. And and there's there's none of the sort of corporate bullshit in that regard either. Like he he's just he's just a guy who is really enthusiastic about not just the games he works on, but sort of popular culture in general. Like as I'm recording this, he's been live tweeting an Idolmaster concert that Bandai Namco have been broadcasting online and he's just he's just squeeing and coming out with Japanese onomatopoeia and he's just having such a lovely time and it's just it's just so delightful to see someone like that 
have such a prominent role at a company like Inti Creates because it it, it it infuses itself into the final products. Yeah, it, it comes across in their products that passion, that feeling of enthusiasm, and we've created something that we're really proud of. We really hope you enjoy it. It really comes across in in everything they do. Yeah, that, that's the big thing, right? Like when you play an Inti Creates game, like even though I've said a bunch of times in this that like much of much of their work is in a sense tribute work, like nostalgia fueled yeah. work. There's no cynicism. There's no sense. Yeah. There's no sense of capitalization for monetization's sake. There's no sense of like we'll make a Mega Man style game because we know that sells to the kids. It's like no, they are, they make those kind of games because the people who work there have spent a lifetime making those kind of games. It's what they love yeah. to do and it's what they're good at. Yeah. It's just when whenever you engage with a creative work be it a, a music a, a film a video game a painting a drawing a food whatever nothing in this world feels better than engaging with something created by a craftsman who loves what they're doing at the top of their game yeah. and that is what it creates games feel like consistently yeah. Labor, labors of love made by people who have honed their craft for decades and it's yep. just delightful yeah 100% agreed alright I think that's probably a good enough place to, to wrap that up there unless you've got anything else you want to add no I, I, that feels like the cadence that feels, that feels like a, <laughs> I don't want to say anything else after that, that that's my manifesto on Inna Creates good stuff so yeah play their games buy their limited run stuff buy their stuff so we get more of their stuff basically yeah all the stuff <laughs> all right as always then would you like to tell people where to find you and your work online absolutely you can always find me on instagram at mr gilder pixels or uh, my own website mr gilder um, i'm actually currently working on a portrait of mega man as we speak so uh make Wonderful. sure to give me a follow and check out my progress on that wonderful stuff and you can find my writing every day on moriagamer.net and my youtube stuff on youtube.com forward slash pete davison uh so currently running on there we've got the atari a to z series uh covering atari 8-bit atari st and uh the games of the atari flashback classics collection along with the final fantasy marathon which is currently playing through final fantasy 3 on psp and the short play series where I just highlight games that I just feel like talking about that week, which is nice. Um, if you're list watching the video version of this podcast, you can subscribe to an audio-only version over on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and probably some other places I haven't thought of as well. And if you're listening to the audio-only version, you can watch a video version featuring footage of all the things we talk about over on the aforementioned YouTube channel. So, just remains for us to say, as always, thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.